I'm an Alex. This week, we begin a conversation on Final Fantasy games, in which I focus mostly on Final Fantasy 16 as I begin my playthrough, and Adam is here to provide a lot of context on uh, the broader world of Final Fantasy games. This will be but the first of several conversations. Enjoy. So what are we talking about today, Alex? Let's kind of roll into this a little yeah, bit. Yeah, let's do this. So a little bit of a little bit of uh, background as to okay. how we ended up with this conversation. Um, we haven't even started the conversation yet, Alex. No, what conversation no. is it? You can't um, leave us in suspense. Well, what is it going to be? Need, I need to build it up. So okay, we come fine, back fine. from vacation. Yeah. Um, you know, I I kind of didn't play many video games while yeah. I was on vacation. I come back and I have Saga sitting over me. And I'm so like, like a Scarlet Grace previous subject. Yes. Uh, and I was like, a double no. AA podcast. Yes. Uh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll roll into, actually we should let, let, let's do it here. Welcome to double a with Adam and Alex. And this week we will be talking about a thing that we're building up to. Um, you know what? I'm just going to record this at the beginning. I don't okay. know. I don't know if that feels, feels good. Um, I guess we're going to figure it out. It's going to happen. Um, I was going to roll into that later, but once you name dropped, I felt like I had to. So oh, uh, we're good. I guess so. We're good. Um, you know, we've been doing this for, this is our 24th episode. That's and pretty still amazing. haven't figured this out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these are things you learn by experience, I guess. We've had plenty of experience and we still haven't learned it. That's how That's it works. True. But we digress. So point being. You could almost say that every episode of this show is just a little different from the last one. Hey, that's but true. what might that remind me of? Uh, a long running series of games. But oh, okay. before we get there. Um, so anyways, the, 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 the moral to this story is that I, I'm a completionist. I like to finish games before I start new games. It's a disease. It is. And I, I had to finish Saga's Carl Grace Ambitions. And I did. Oh, I, I finished. Boss. I finished Leo's uh, like through line. I really should have finished it earlier. I did way too much in that yeah. one playthrough. I I would have been better off like just ha- like you mentioned, Adam. Honestly, um, but then I I resisted the temptation to to play Erpina's story because right. she got assigned to me kind of next through the like the little questionnaire thing survey whatever, um, and instead decided to start Tears of the Kingdom about a month, uh, not quite a month, about a month. No, that no, being no, about Legend a of Zelda Tear of the King Tears of the Kingdom. Yes. The- yes. Breath- extraordinarily acclaimed video game sequel to Breath of the year. Wild. Yeah, yes. also extraordinarily acclaimed in its own right. Um, and um, so I, I've been deep in that. And of course, while all of this is happening in uh, on on June twenty second, that is okay. correct. Uh, Final Fantasy sixteen comes out, and I had a bit of a roller coaster ride deciding whether or not to play this game day one and right. ultimately settled on what the hell how many final fantasies can i say i've played day one let me you do see it. alex has a ps5 he can do this sort I of do. thing i do yeah um and so i i cave and i buy it and all of which to to lead to i'm having an interesting time playing both tears of the kingdom and final fantasy 16 at the same time very different games with very different uh goals. priorities yes yeah. priorities that's a good way to put it and uh, anyways, all of which brings us to our conversation today in which we will be discussing the Final Fantasy series of games and what makes, maybe we'll come up with an answer to what makes a Final Fantasy game. Yeah. So Final Fantasy. Yes. We're talking about Final Fantasy. Um, Alex, I have a question for you. Yes. What Final Fantasy games have you played? So I'm a real scrub. <laughs> okay. We'll start with that. Um, 
like anyone who's going to hear this is like, wow, he's not really played a Final yeah, Fantasy. Yeah, don't give the bad don't um, give the bad Christmas present. Tell me how many Final Fantasy play, so games I'll, you've played. I'll tell Alex. you the, or, the the games I've played and the order I've played them in. Okay, I played Final Fantasy 15 as my first one, which is yeah, exactly. All right, you all can't see Adam's face, but Adam's like eyes just bulging. I out. mean, you know, Final um, Fantasy 15 has its fans, has its defenders. They're correct. out there. I, I think it's a imperfect game, but it is better than the internet would have you believe. It has a lot of heart. Uh, or whether or not YouTube. it all adds up is another question. But yes. the people who are working on it cared a lot about it. It, it has a lot of heart. Lot of games, yeah. But yeah, I don't know if sixteen has a lot of heart. I, I, that's I think a, it does. That's a conversation. That's a conversation for another time. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, so from that, um, we kind of go into the timeline in which we have Final Fantasy Seven R coming out, and I say to myself, "No, Alex, you must play Final Fantasy Seven before this game comes out. Did you? So I did. Oh. And I spent like at least a 90 hour plus playthrough of uh, 7. Just of 7? Just of 7. Of I, the PlayStation And I beat original? the super bosses as well at the end of that game. I played That's wild. the hell out of that game, Adam. With the um, translation, the original translation, right? Uh, it was the Switch release. Okay. Re-release yeah, that has, that game. as far as I know, so it's tricky because when, Final, when the translation for Final Fantasy 7 came out, it was at a time when they hadn't, I mean, they were still figuring out how to do large-scale localizations for role-playing games. Yeah. You had folks like Ted Wolseley who were doing a lot of work on their own for the SNES era. But Final Fantasy VII was done by someone who was fairly competent but did not have a lot of time and also didn't have a lot of context for what they were doing. Right. So they really should have someone come through and do a pass and fix it up, but they have never done that for whatever reason. Which is very mm. strange because by the time we get to Final Fantasy VIII and onwards, they sort of figure out the localization thing, and those games become much more legible in their writing. But Seven just hits this weird spot where they've never cleaned it up, even though it's one of the most famous, important games of all time. It, it it's kind of you know it's funny because I've I I think I've said this in relation to another game series, but it's like either the peak of the series depending on who you ask or what where it all starts going wrong i have feelings about that but keep going yeah so i mean again final (laughs) fantasy 7 and then um and then of course i play 7r when that comes out um and then 7 remake right yes yeah right and um i have plans and i have actually i on my shelf i have literally five six eight nine ten ten two uh 12 actually i don't have 12 i okay. don't i do not have yet 12 12 but is, i have yeah i have 13 i have 13 too and actually i ordered lightning returns so all of these are lightning are, returns are, are on is my supposed shelf. To be very interesting i haven't played it so but. eventually i have grand plans to play a lot of final fantasy but the problem is that other games keep coming out and right it's who can play it all but anyways so Long story short, I have not played a lot of Final Fantasy, but I own a lot of Final Fantasy games that I will one day play. Yeah, and you played a chunk of 16. And I've played about nine hours of 16. Okay, that's fair. Which is, it's about a 50-hour game. So I'm actually right. close to the one-fifth mark. I When they were marketing it, they were saying it would be 30 or 40 hours. I've heard some people say, like, oh, it can go up to 50 or 60. Um, I think 30 hours, from what I understand, is a very you are playing it very quickly. Right. Um, I think a more average playthrough is probably going to be between 40 and 50. Yeah. So, you know. so I guess, Alex, from the Final Fantasy games you've played, you've talked in the past about your experience, like growing up and playing a lot mm-hmm. of computer games and that sort of being your main exposure to video games and how you were kind of relatively late to check out stuff on consoles. Correct. Is there anything 
in Final Fantasy that stands out to you from what you've played compared to other games of its type? So I will say this. My experience with Final Fantasy is very much that of my generation. So as a millennial, currently 36 years of age, I was at the right age when Final Fantasy VII came out. Not to necessarily, unfortunately in my case, play it, because I didn't have that opportunity or the means to, but to see all of the marketing. And then even more crucially, because I remember this more in some ways, the marketing for eight. So I, my first exposure to Final Fantasy was not actually playing it, Mm. but seeing the marketing for seven and eight. And that formed in my mind, an idea of what a Final Fantasy should be based on that marketing. I mean, I guess in a way, since you were talking about Tears of the Kingdom before and Breath of the Wild, I think they're very different sorts of games. But when you think about the kind of legend that Breath of the Wild has as this thing that came out and was huge and people were kind of talking about it like it had changed computer games forever. And then Tears of the Kingdom coming up after that where people were sort of talking about, oh, how can it possibly live up to the first one? But what if it does live up to the first one? You know, And it did. And it's yeah. better. And, and to be fair, perfect. I think one of well, the interesting perfect, things about 7 and 8 is that Final Fantasy 7 and 8 are so different in some ways. Correct. Like, they just pivot to such a degree. I think that's part of what makes the series what it is. Well, so but, having never played it, I obviously never had that experience. Yeah, but I think what I wanted to say is that there but, is yeah. this kind of aura around these games. Like, especially Correct. 7 when it came out was like, People played it, and whether or not they knew much about role-playing games in Japan, they there was just something there that caught their attention and made them realize, oh, yeah, this is what video games are going to be like from now on. Right. And I would even say to some degree, um, there are things in Final Fantasy VII, despite the fact that some parts of the game are a bit raggedy, that if you look back at it, just clearly set what modern AAA games would be. Yeah. In terms of their priorities, is what I would say. Um, Agreed, and and it, well, and that is I I think that's accurate because I think those are the games that put Final Fantasy on the track. Yeah, where we end up getting Final Fantasy sixteen today. So you said one. So one part of it was like the marketing and this. Right. Are was there anything else about these that sort of stood out to you? I mean, it, it, it were just, you surprised by anything when you finally played them? When I finally played time, seven, yeah. I think by the time I played seven or seven I, or fifteen, I, I with seven by the time I played it, I just already from you know the culture just from, absorbed everything through osmosis. I already knew so much about it that it didn't necessarily hold any specific s- surprises. It was just yeah. pleasant to experience. Really, it. so nothing made you think, "Oh, this is different from how I was told." Correct, because there's definitely stuff in it. Like I feel like as someone who, again, like you said, took a very long time to play Final Fantasy VII, but was always sort of reading stories about Final Fantasy VII. Right. You'd hear things like, oh, um, Aerith's character is right. the so I, gentle I knew, one, I knew and the, Tifa the plot twist, is right. the spunky one, but then if you right. actually read the script, it's the other way around. Yeah. Or just something like uh, this idea of Cloud being like, this really cool stuck up guy. But then like, if you look at what Final Fantasy seven is actually doing, you just see cloud getting dunked on over and he's over. He's just kind of a like yeah. awkward like he's guy. supposed to know. be, he's sort of presented initially as a really cool guy, but the whole game is about like peeling all of his layers and reducing him to basically nothing and rebuilding him. Yeah. Well, and that's the problem because there's also, this is, I should also note, I watched 
Final Fantasy The Spirits Within oh. before I ever oh, played no. a Final Fantasy game. So and that was I, your first Final Fantasy. In, I mean... The Final Fantasy that sunk. I guess. Like, ruined Sakaguchi's does, career. Does that count? Had Square sold to Square Enix. It was like his big, his yeah. big gamble and never paid. But People I watched said, that as yeah. a kid. Oh, oh I'm a teenager. Um, and so I typical. also watched because... Uh, one of Advent my children. Yes. One oh of, my God. One of my okay. really good friends uh, in high school. I mean, still a good friend uh, is a huge Final Fantasy fan. And actually, I can't. I look forward to hanging out with him sometime this summer and, and peeling back all of this because we him and I had huge conversations about Final Fantasy seven R when it came out. And, you know, because, again, he gr- actually did grow up right. playing these games. And for him, it was a very different. Sort this of was like his Pokemon. It was like his right, Pokemon right. sort of this is my life now sort of. Right. Thing. So he yeah. had to like he bought a PlayStation four to play Final Fantasy because he didn't have one. Oh, just my to play Final Fantasy seven R. That's, that's it reminds me about. so much. I had a friend who bought um, I think she, she bought a it was a PlayStation three or a PlayStation four because she was thinking Kingdom Hearts three is going to come out at some point. Oh, they're going to have a system no. to wait until. But then it just took so long. She was like, what's what's the point of all this? Why did I buy this thing? Oh, well, that's what I'm wrong. Anyway. Kingdom Hearts, another Final Fantasy adjacent thing. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but anyway, so to, to, to kind of get the point and then. The, uh, he basically made me watch it when I was, you know, we were hanging out and we were teenagers, yeah. you know, well, made me whatever. We were just hanging out and then he played it. So I, w- I also saw that before I ever, ever played Final Fantasy VII, right. which I kind of do want to go back to it now that I've played seven because I had, let me tell you, no idea what was going on in that. I uh, feel like one of my early movie. Final Fantasy memories was actually going to, I think my family went to a friend's house for a house party and I went in the room of the kid who lived there who was absent. He was like a couple of years older than me. And he had a PlayStation that had Final Fantasy VIII on it. So I was playing Final Fantasy VIII. And I think I got through the first 10 minutes. It's just, it's one of those experiences where you don't really know what you're playing, but you feel like you're intruding in something kind of adult or whatever. Like, what is this? Mm, What's going yeah. on? You know, like you're seeing something. It's like watching your first PG-13 movie or something, even though it's not really what it is. To me, it sort of gave that kind of impression, like it was intruding on something. I, mean, I think that... Aid definitely wanted to be very mature. Oh, I mean, it was more, it was made to tell a story that was more grounded in human emotions and fears. Yeah, yeah. that's certainly true. Um, so wait, Adam, I'm actually curious because we talked a lot about what my yeah. I mean, I was curious be... just because I feel like, yeah. as someone coming from the outside, I feel like it's really. Or, since you're coming from the outside, I, mean, right. I think it's interesting to see what your responses might be or if anything stands out to you. I mean, th- I think that's what's fascinating. Well, fascinating. I'm going to tell my my experience has been so fascinating. What I, what I think is different about my experience maybe is that even though I never got to play a Final Fantasy, I could not escape its clout. Yeah. It, the ghost of way. it was there. Right. Um. So it's still late. Like, it made its imprint on my teenage brain in yeah. some way. And then when eventually I caught up to it, it it didn't it, it I knew what to expect. Okay, uh, I guess is a good way to put that. Well, which is I'd be curious to see how many people would have that experience if they tried it now, because these games have it feels like shaped so much of what currently exists. I mean, they're not the only right. important role playing game franchise. There's a lot of other stuff that's experimented, but I, they're I definitely key. This is gonna be my hottest take of the night. Okay. Uh, whatever night it's less, <laughs> the sun is out. Um, but, um, effectively I would say that what, what that expectation was that, or sense that feeling, that vibe that I had as a teenager, 16 does not live up to it. Okay. It 16 is not that. So 15 was even though problematic fifth, I could point to 15 and be like, this feels like what I would have 
expected based on that vibe. 16 does not. Okay. So make of that what you will. But mm-hmm. also, okay, so Adam, sorry, I was I was going to turn this back on you. Um, what has been your Final Fantasy, like, journey? Yeah, so I guess I have a kind of a very specific Final Fantasy experience, which is that my time with the series has mostly been shaped by the entries for Super Nintendo. I feel like when I was a kid, the ones I were really into were Final Fantasy IV, Final Fantasy V, and Final Fantasy VI. One day I'll play these. <laughs> yeah. And then Final Fantasy VI. So I'll admit, I've never, I never finished a Final Fantasy game. That's something I've never done. I, I honestly have a hard time finishing games in general. A lot of the time I play for a while and I lose patience. But I've dabbled in just about every game in the series, but probably the ones I'm least experienced with are the PlayStation titles. Like, I've played a little bit of Final Fantasy VIII and a little bit of Final Fantasy IX, but still don't have, really have a sense of what those are. Final Fantasy X, I've played a bit more. I feel like that and the Kingdom Hearts games sort of fit together. I've played a bunch of Final Fantasy XII. I have not touched thirteen at all, and I have not touched fifteen or sixteen yet. Fair. So, if you would legitimately, if you would like to borrow my PlayStation Three and play some some thirteen, oh maybe I'm not actively using it. I, mean, I, I should also I should also say. Um, the first three Final Fantasies one and two I've dabbled in. I probably have a good amount of affinity for one, and then three I picked up the Pixel Remaster and played a bunch of that. And it was really interesting to see how that played out. So really, I've dabbled in a lot of these, but definitely my experience is more with the Super Nintendo titles. Also, because you know, as if you listen to this podcast, you may know I've played a bunch of indie RPGs and RPG Maker games, and I feel right. like those games often draw from the Super Nintendo titles. Correct. When it comes to references, yes. and also like there's or, a lot of seven in these games as well, just right. because seven made such a huge impact. But often they'll rip the enemy graphics or the character graphics and they'll put them in there, or they'll borrow, they'll try to borrow the structure. It's not as easy to just for what we'll I'll talk about how getting across the sort of sense of pacing and design you see in a Final Fantasy game is a lot harder than it looks, but um, these games will sort of attempt that kind of feeling. Yeah. So let me see, how do I want to talk about this? I took a couple of notes because something I've been thinking about a lot recently, like what you said, Alex, is like what defines a Final Fantasy which is a whole nebulous question because the Final Fantasy games are so different, but I feel like so much of the discussion around 16 right now has been, I found pretty exhausting. There's been a lot of people saying, oh, um, Final Fantasy 16 is a Final Fantasy game, and then Final Fantasy 16 is not like a Final Fantasy game. Or they'll say, um, you know, because one of the producers came out to say something like, well, we don't like the term Japanese role-playing game because it felt like when people were using it, they were othering us, and so they preferred it as be seen as making role-playing games. So then people were saying, well, to use the term Japanese RPG is racist. And it is true. Like, if you go back through history, um, these games from Japan, for a specific period in the history of video games, were othered by the Western press. Right. Um, but, but then, of course, now that you have uh, folks like uh, Gita Jackson and Ash Paris writing pieces about... How, I need to read um, piece at some point. But. How Final Fantasy 16 fails to like 
approach issues like slavery or racism right. in a way that makes any sense. Now we have people saying, oh, your piece is racist because you're like reading a Western context into like this Japanese game and Western fans are, it's, it's such a conundrum. Okay. And, you know, listen, so there's something there's the thing is final fantasy makes people really angry when they does. talk about it. And I'm trying to, I don't, well, I don't know exactly what it is. I think it might have something to do with the same impulse that makes Zelda fans angry and Pokemon fans angry. Except I feel like Pokemon is rooted in something a little different. It's like that nostalgia of when you're a kid and like sort of picking like racing hermit crabs and picking tadpoles out of the water. Final Fantasy is something a little different. It's like the nostalgia of it's like sort of Star Wars adjacent. It's not when you're it's not when you're like a younger child but kind of an older child, which is like sort of a specific kind of investment and frustration, I guess. Like something about these games you take a bunch of people and you put them in a room and you have them talk about it and seven times out of ten they'll get really mad. And I don't really know why it is, but I do think it's interesting that despite the fact that these games were last really relevant about 20 years ago now, they still really piss people off. Right. Well, and I think... Because it is there's, true. So there's I, a couple of reasons for this, I think. Yeah. It, one, any long-running series... You know, at some point, you're going to kind of run into the sort of necessity of rebooting or redefining what it is. Because yeah. once you've done it, I mean, how many times can you keep doing it? Heck, we live in a world in which Dragon Quest has promised that the next game, the next installment, 12, will represent a, a redefinition. Oh, of, yeah. Whatever that means. Wh wh Good which, luck with that. Oh, boy. I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of perilously another game about an angry man afraid. going to seek his revenge. I yeah. really hope. Oh God, I mean, I really you know, not, people but. people eventually came around on Final Fantasy. Was it Final Fantasy Origin, Strangers in Paradise? Did they? Yeah, they eventually. Now okay. they people are like, hey, that's like a kind of fun character action game. Okay, that has like I'm gonna a hero. pass on it, but that's yeah. Me. There, um, no, there are people who like that game. Um, I couldn't get over the memes of that game. I'm, I can cannot. Chaos. Uh, yeah, I. I'm sorry. No, that's our I, obligatory mention of chaos. In um, this but but the episode. thing is, that game might actually get what a Final Fantasy is in some ways. To my mind, to my personal taste. But what is it better than 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 what specific 16? thing? Okay, so th this is uh, this this conversation is already a little bit polluted because yeah, we exactly. Uh, we Final having, Fantasy does this. It does. We were having a conversation in a Discord that we're both part in and. One of the, the members of this Discord mentioned that party dynamics are, to them, very important to, or to him, rather, uh, very important to what defines a Final Fantasy. And I stopped and I thought about it, and it's like, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily, well, maybe I would have said that, but now my, my thinking is polluted by what he said, so I'm just crediting it and not as necessarily my original thought. But, um, you know, I think back to my own sort of perceptions, even, of of seven and eight from the marketing that wasn't necessarily there but it later on kind of became maybe attached to it in any event having those kind of party dynamics feels like a core part of final fantasy at least to my adult brain so 16 doesn't really have that at all like there are people who join you on your journey and are critical to it but it doesn't really have the feeling let's say of a xenoblade 
of this disjointed group yeah, of Xenoblade people having to three especially together. has a really good thing going on where the way it gives you all of your party members immediately and fleshes them out over the course of the right. whole game i mean honestly a lot of role-playing games have this problem where because they introduce the characters to your party person by person there are some who just inevitably get less time so i think it is really smart well like Xenoblade... sid in in seven for me yeah. was kind of like so, all right whatever. so i think it is really great that xenoblade 3 does the opposite gives you everyone and then sort of spends the whole game fleshing them out. I'd yeah. love to see more games follow that approach, especially I think the Persona games have gotten really screwed over by that um, oh, because those are so time-based and the last yeah. character being introduced always has the least to do. I think they could really benefit by just giving everyone in one go. I, I mean, I, that was actually, going back to Xenoblade 3 um, really quick, or more so, um, that was certainly one of the things that I really appreciate about that game. And I think it's something that more games, to your point, I think, can learn from. Yeah, but so let's try... People ask the question all the time: What is the Final Fantasy? Oh, sorry. So what I was going, where I was going with okay, that? That sorry. was that's what I thought. Stranger's uh, Origin, whatever. Stranger in Paradise was that get a party? Is that it, it had more? It felt like it, at least from what I've seen of it, had more of, of a party dynamic, whereas sixteen is just so focused on Clive. That's an interesting point, but I don't agree. Um, I I Fair. feel like I've thought about there are a couple of things that I think help set these games apart from others but to get to some of those we're gonna have to go back in time a bit is that okay absolutely let's turn back the clock also i want to do a quick sort of annotation we're going to do a lot of conversation about what we consider to or not consider to be a final fantasy right but let's be really clear at the end of the day final fantasy is what square enix says it is the one constant of final fantasy is that no one can agree on what final fantasy is even square enix i think doesn't have a correct yeah and I mean, well, that's part of why this has become so controversial. The main thing, of, the main thing that makes a Final Fantasy game a Final Fantasy game is that Square Enix makes it and then puts the name Final Fantasy on it. Right. But Which at what point say, does Square get absorbed by Enix and become Square Enix? Is Final Fantasy no longer Final Fantasy after that point? It's a mystery. Oh, that's a. Who's to say? But, yeah. Let's go back to 1987. Now, if we're talking about games that Final Fantasy drew influence for, let's go through the timeline here. Dragon Slayer uh, came out in 1984. Um, led to the sequel Xanadu. You had a Hydelide come out in 1984. These are games that preceded Legend of Zelda for the for the for the Famicom and the Nintendo Entertainment System. Sort of shaped what RPGs could be. Um, Dragon Quest took some influence from these, and also Hironobu Sakaguchi, who became the producer of the early Final Fantasy games, took inf- took inspiration from these as well. Now, the very first Final Fantasy game came out in 1987. Uh, can you, the year I was born. Can you think of any <laughs> other games from that year off the top of your head? Uh, no, because I was, wasn't born yet. <laughs> so Final Fantasy has a whole elaborate story. I'd have to look it up. <laughs> Final Fantasy has a whole elaborate story around it, which I think is often blown out of proportion. The idea is it's called Final Fantasy because Square had released a bunch of games before. Um, I think Sakuchi, who is one of the producers there, he had this idea or maybe a game developer there, he thought, well, I don't know if I'm going to stay in the games industry, so I'm going to make a game called, called Final Fantasy, and it's going to be, like, the last game before I jump out. I feel like that, I don't know how true that is. People have pushed back on it recently, but that's the myth of where this series name came from. So Final Fantasy well, comes boy, out. Well, th- boy, did that not work out? <laughs> yeah, so Final Fantasy comes out, and we're now in the 16th Final Fantasy, plus any number of spinoffs, so it's been Final Fantasy this entire time. Um, and there's never been. Gosh, if you count the, the spinoffs, this is like, yeah. is this one of the biggest role playing? Well, it's been going on forever. Yeah. <clears throat> is this still a role playing game? That's another conversation. But I think it's also not quite right to say that Final Fantasy was the only 
one of its time the only game doing this like of course final fantasy was following in dragon quest footsteps right dragon quest was a game that helped create an idea of what a role-playing game could be on a console and dragon quest was also wasn't there cross-pollination between dragon quest and wizardry so what happened was that yuji hori one of the original dragon quest creators played wizardry and was you liked it a lot. And of course, there was Ultima as well. Right. And so Dragon Quest is sort of the Ultima style world design plus Wizardry's battles mashed together to make one coherent right. sort of game. And then massively simplify it so that anyone could play it and enjoy it. Because Hori also liked gambling. He built the game so that he could play the game over and over. If he lost, there's a lot of gambling in Dragon yeah, Quest. That, if you that lost, <laughs> you'd be sent back to the castle you lose half your money but you can never lose permanently if you just kept playing again and again and right. again sooner or later you beat it just through process of attrition so it's a gambler's wet dream that's right to some degree <laughs> it's why there's always um slot machines and yeah no, that's, that's, that's what i was like it checks out there's always yeah. a casino <laughs> no it's true and to be fair like hori i think knows these sorts of games are most fun when first off the player has where the odds are in their favor like you always you never go into a dragon quest game constantly oh, getting true. screwed over it almost always breaks for you eventually. it's not shouldn't be gonna be tense yeah hey. but also it feels really good to pull a lever it's like a game yeah, where yeah. you're just playing and playing it's really smooth i mean that's that's not nothing that's really hard to do i feel like Adam, actually, this is why i will never gamble because i yeah, love dragon quest yeah, too much actually in some ways i think <laughs> from the sorts of fan games i've seen people make like copying final fantasy or dragon quest dragon quest in a way is a lot harder to get right because the tone is so specific it's been such a core team of people this entire time yep. that if you don't get it if you don't get quite there, it rings really, it's very off to me. Right. Yeah. But so anyway, here are some of the games. So Final Fantasy, the first one, comes out in 1987. Um, these are some of the other games that came out 19, in 1987. Are you ready for this? Yes. Metal Gear oh, for the yeah. MSX2. Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, oh, comes out that year. Fantasy Star, the first one, comes out two days after Final Fantasy 1. Um, Digital Devil Story, Megami Tensei, came out a couple months earlier. And that was a busy year. Yeah. Uh, Dungeon Master, one of the most, like, over in the PC world yep, in yep. the U.S. I don't know if it has any penetration in Japanese markets, but won a, a very influential computer role-playing game. and might, changes the perspective and on... Might and Magic yeah. as well. Oh, damn. Which is... I feel like probably best known now because it's like it's very user friendly for a game of that time. I feel like it's more known for Heroes of Might and Magic. Yeah, than Heroes it is of Might and Magic Might really and Magic. blew up. Yeah, but you know, there's something to be said. Like Might and Magic were role playing games for the computer that gave the player a lot of conveniences, even if the design wasn't yeah really inspired. But so anyway, all of those games came what, out in 1987. What I will say is fascinating about all of that is that a lot of the Western RPGs that you mentioned there really fizzled out in the late to mid 2000s. Uh, or well, sorry, we're going to uh, talk uh, about uh, late uh, 90s to mid 2000s. Um, but the the Japanese side of things. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to talk about that, too. Now, Dragon Quest three comes out in February of 1988. And I think it is interesting because right. if, if you look at Final Fantasy, I think if you look at the original Dragon Quest and then Dragon Quest 2 and then the original Final Fantasy, you immediately see what they chose to embrace and what they chose to turn away. So the first Dragon Quest, basically just a game about one guy um, wandering along, fighting monsters and stuff. I've played it. Yeah, Dragon Quest 2, you still have one guy, but he has two friends who help him out. Eventually. Yeah, eventually. 
And it's also, also a, it's it. a direct sequel to the first game. Yeah. So that's an area where immediately in later Final Fantasy games, they just break it completely. There are well, the, not the many Final Fantasy sequels. The third one is a prequel. Yeah. So but that's, I have a, that's not kind of a secret. That one yet. So you can't spoil that a game that yeah. old. <laughs> but so Final Fantasy, sorry, Dra- Dragon Quest 1 and 2, the characters are what they are. They learn abilities, but they're, you don't really have much choice. You just have the characters and you just have to deal with them. It isn't until Dragon Quest 3 that you get some choice or customization. You can start to say, right. well, I want to party with a warrior, a thief, a priest, and a mage or something. Um, now, Final Fantasy got there first. Final Fantasy would say, okay, you don't have fixed party members. You can have four or whatever you want. So if you want right. four fighters, you can do that. If you want four priests, you can do that. And as a matter of fact, because the game wasn't especially balanced, you could just actually a party of four fighters was much stronger than many of the other parties in the game. Even if you only had like, you'd think, oh, if you have fighters, they can't use magic. I'll make them weak. But actually, no, like they're by themselves. They're pretty strong. Now, so that I think is one part of it that Final Fantasy games were complicated. They would say, let's allow you to choose a bunch of different types of party members let's have that variant so you can beat the game in a lot of different ways and also as the games continued not only was each one often set in a different world but also this idea that you were the characters in your party just completely went away like i think especially just just starting with final fantasy 2 suddenly the party members have personalities they have a story the game becomes a story delivery mechanism, kind of. Yes, and I think, yeah. to me, that's an interesting part of when the, the formula comes into, I think, focus. Because one of the things, if I were to put a finger on what, what, what one of the core concepts of Final Fantasy has been over the years, having obviously played not many, um, is that it, regardless of what the systems are, and the systems are always should be there, is that it delivers big stories, or attempts to. Yeah, I mean, I think... The question of whether the story are good is not or not is irrelevant. That doesn't matter. What matters is how it's delivered. Um, I think again, like I said, bi- uh, big stories. They're big, epic, like you know, moments and stories. Yeah, I mean, I think so. When you use the word epic, this was actually I was having a conversation with some friends yesterday regarding Final Fantasy, and we were having this conversation about big and epic and what yeah. qualifies as big and epic. Oh, that's a, and they were talking about how, for instance, <laughs> look at um. The difference between the tone of like a Final Fantasy IV and a Final Fantasy V and a Final Fantasy VI. And they were saying, well, Final Fantasy V is kind of goofy. Like, there's an evil bad guy who turns into a tree. Um, there's like a lot of jokes or things that don't land as seriously. But to me, it's not, I don't really find an interesting question as to is this game serious or not? I think a better question is how is this game delivering its story? And I think those things are being relatively consistent. Like the game that delivers stories through battle, it finds gameplay means to get you to feel what the characters are going through. A friend of mine, uh, Sreka, who I've quoted on an earlier podcast, tweeted something a while ago. I'm going to take out, I'm going to try to, I don't have it right now, but I'm going to just try to say it. It's something like if a game lets you heal before the boss in a cave, it's a Dragon Quest game. Or so, so he says, if a game doesn't let you heal before a boss, it's a Dragon Quest game. 
if it does let you heal before a boss, it's a Final Fantasy game. I was going to say, because I was, I was, you made me think, by extension of Bravely Default, which is so in- inspired by early Final Fantasy games. Right. I was like, that always lets you <laughs> heal before. <laughs> what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, sorry, sorry. Because the idea is that it's supposed to create this sensation when you're in a battle. It's not that you go through the cave and slowly have your resources drained and then fight the boss and have to get to the end. That's not what it's trying to get you to do. It wants you to feel the arc in the fight itself. Like the fight against the enemy is that dramatic set piece. Right. And it wants you to go through the stress of going, oh no, I have to use these potions. My characters are becoming weaker. Will I be able to beat the boss in time? It's balanced around having all your characters of full power. Right. Um, or it might say the boss you're going to fight is going to beat you. You can't actually defeat it. And so that's like the point. It's trying to create this feeling of powerlessness or to do some other thing. I mean, these are things that Final Fantasy games do. As a aside to that, one thing I've noticed with 16, where it is true to that, completely true to that um, tradition, even to the point where obviously it isn't in the way that it's more of an action game. Um, it definitely is incredibly generous in terms of waypointing, particularly between big fights or big moments. Yeah. Um, it is also very generous if you die in a fight where and how it resets you sometimes gives you more uh, potions to the point where I'm I'm almost feeling like the game almost resets you to what it thinks you should have at that point. Right. Um, which is always more generous than what I end up having. I think so. it's because this game, well, Final Fantasy 16, I know the people who worked on it were very open in their interviews saying, we think Final Fantasy is about telling a story. We want the players to experience the story. We don't want them to be inconvenienced so that they can't like go through the story as it's intended, I guess. So it makes sense that because they want you to be in the right place so that the dramatic beat they want you to feel hits in the right way, they'll control right. things to that degree, which not everyone likes. There are people who much prefer something like a saga game, which I think gives you much more control over your own experience in terms of what to pick, what to bring in the battle. There's a lot more flexibility there. But saga games, if you come to them with the wrong headspace, are much less accessible, I think, in that mm-hmm. way. And that you need to face each battle like it's a puzzle to solve or a challenge. It's not a roller coaster. Right. I mean, yeah. So I'm here's what I'm going to do. So some things about Final Fantasy that, to me, sort of encompass what it is compared to other games. So first off, um, there's a lot of... okay. Have you played any of the original Ultima games? I haven't. That's another one that I kind of uh, right. game series that I kind of grew in the in the shadow of, and I've seen and read a lot about, but I've never played. So something that's really funny about the Ultima games is that they have this very strange mixture of elements. On one hand, they're fantasy stories about this chosen one who goes on an adventure and fights the bad guy and that kind of thing, but they have a lot of weird science fiction elements in them too, mm. and I don't know if those science fiction elements have a reason to be there except that richard garriott who helped develop those games really like those things he was a younger person he thought i just want to make something that has all the things i like and so he made a game that had all those things regardless of whether they fit which you know it's something that younger people do they'll just say uh i'll make my um my oc in their AU fan fiction world or something, and everything's very indulgent. I mean, I will say, in a weird way, it was very ahead of its time because now you look and anywhere in fantasy and science yeah. fiction and you see much more, like, everyone who kind of grew up after that kind of doing exactly that right. to some extent. Like, 
is it fantasy? Is it, is it science fiction? Is it a little bit of both? Like those elements become much more yeah. interwoven. Nowadays. And that's something that Final Fantasy has done from the beginning. Also like in true. the very first yeah. game, you're a bunch of again, you're like a bunch of knights, chosen ones who go on an adventure to fight the bad guy in this kind of conventional fantasy world. But there are also weird robots running around. And it ends with this time travel plot where you're sent back in time to fight the final bad guy. So in that way, from the very start, it just mixes genres together, both because I think the people making it found it really cool, but also because they wanted to surprise you. And I think that holds sure. true also because another thing that the people making Final Fantasy like besides manga and anime and like other video games and stuff is they like Star Wars a lot. And I think like that, sort of mix of genres and tones in star wars where you have the western the sort of vietnam war parallels the japanese samurai film stuff that's in there just this giant melange but you know what else is in there yeah. parties star wars it, it, you know obviously it's very focused on luke skywalker there's always the one sort of central character but you don't have a Star Wars without Han Solo, without Leia, without hell, even Obi Wan Kenobi. To but the then I feel there. like Andor or, is much more of. I mean, Andor, of course, has a lot of different characters, but it's not about Andor p- traveling around with a set group of people. It's about him just being thrown from story to story and constantly falling in with a new group. Fair, but so anyway, that, that's one part that there. Th- and actually, I would say that's one respect in which Final Fantasy XVI is pretty different from the norm, which is that it right. seems much more of a committed fantasy story. Well, all of the final, all, many of the other Final Fantasy games have always ri- right. rode that line between the two. Uh, also, just for my the, the benefit of, of clarifying my own opinion, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ding sixteen again and again on why I don't think it fits the traditional mold of a, of a Final Fantasy. But I, I will be clear, like, I have conceptual issues with 16 in terms of how it what the story it's telling and how it's telling it but i am still having fun playing it and i will still very likely play the game all the way through completion and enjoy it for what it is does that fit what i expect the final fantasy to be probably not am i still enjoying it absolutely so make of that what you will you know is it's you know it's allowed to redefine what it's final fantasy is yeah so some some other things about final fantasy games something that stands out to me it's um again like we've talked about it's using gameplay as a story delivery mechanism one of the really famous examples in final fantasy 4 you have a character who joins your party who's a little girl um, when you first meet her her entire town burns down and so she's ter- she's terrified of using the fire ability because she's a magician she learns these different mm. spells she learns ice and lightning but fire is something that scares her. And she doesn't learn fire until your party goes to this mountain. And the only way to get into the mountain is to melt this icicle that's blocking that's the way. Fair. So the you know the main character's girlfriend says to this little girl, like, hey, you need to overcome your fears. Can you please help us through here so we can get past? And so she learns a fire spell, melts the crystal, and then from then on, she just has a fire spell. Um, in that same game, you have a character named Tella, who's this very old man, who's a very powerful magician um, and has all these spells. However, what you realize over time is that as he levels up, he actually becomes weaker. And the strongest spell he has in his arsenal is one he doesn't actually have the magic points to use. And so, of course, eventually he reaches a point where in order to take revenge uh, to protect his daughter, 
he uses this spell that he doesn't have the power to use any dies. Oh damn! Yeah, like Final Fantasy love from that point just loves doing that kind of stuff. It'll find, it'll take some piece of the game, like um, a character's summon abilities, the way a map is designed, and it'll find a way to build it into the story. And it usually does mm. that in a way that you don't always see in other games. Like, I will always push back against people who say that the Dragon Quest games are fundamentally conservative because while they definitely have issues of gender and that kind of thing, I and how they treat female characters. And I really expected better out of 16 in this day and age, and it's still there. Well, Final Fantasy's always been terrible at treating I mean, cor- that stuff. Correct, but you expect but so, some growth. So one more, one more. <laughs> so what I was trying to say about Dragon Quest, yeah. if you look at all the titles, they do take a lot of big swings, like four is a game. Dra- Dragon Quest Four is a game that starts with four standalone stories featuring different characters before right. bringing the whole party together. Five is one that tells the whole life of one person. Uh, nine is a multiplayer game on the DS, basically. Yeah. But there are certain things in those games, and not everything, but certain things that the game makes no real effort to explain. Like why does the main character have the ability to use fire spells? Nobody knows. Why do all these monsters exist in the world? Like, the monsters are just there because someone summoned them. There's not a story behind them. Final Fantasy will say something like, okay, your character has magic, uh, but most people don't have magic, so where does the magic come from? Well, there are these, like, extraterrestrial creatures in another dimension, and this empire has been killing them and taking the crystals and using them as a way to, like, give people powers, and that's where magic comes from. That's Final Fantasy VI. You know what this... this nuance reminds me of yeah the conversation we had around uh fantasy books and systems of magic in Maybe. reference to uh you know nk jemison and, and brandon sanderson uh last time in, in, in that terms approach, of their yeah in, in terms of to what extent do you have to justify the mechanics right in the world and one approach saying no i don't it just matters it to the extent that it's involved in the story and the way the story uses it is what is more important yeah. than the mechanic I and the other so. one saying no you have to have every piece justified and explained as and to why to be it fair, that is the story yeah it ways. isn't always justified because for instance in final fantasy 4 you have characters who can use magic and does that magic come from somewhere i don't know it's just you have people in this world yeah. with magic it's a fantasy setting that's a setting that also has a giant space whale and the final battle is fought in the moon. It's sort of all out there, right? So, it, But again, but then that is a game that takes something like a character using a magic spell and uses it as a metaphor for like a certain character overcoming their fears and becoming stronger, right? This is something that especially around three or four Final Fantasy starts to do regularly. Mm. And I think going all the way through the rest of the entries to the most recent ones, it's something that's made its calling card that it will use its boss battles or character level systems as means of conveying to you drama, I guess. Which, to be fair, is something that other games have done as well, especially following, like, as Final Fantasy became bigger and bigger, and as these other games sort of followed in its footsteps, and as stuff like Dragon Quest has continued to experiment, you've seen more of these games adopt that approach. And even Dragon Quest will do things like um, in Dragon Quest Eight, one of the really funny notes is that you realize pretty early on that the main character is invulnerable to curses. There's a certain 
status effect called a curse that can beset every other party member you have except for the main character and you think oh that's kind of funny it can't be deliberate right it is deliberate you find out at the end of the game there's a specific in-story reason why the main character can't be cursed right well, yeah which is which I, so these things are driving quests as well but i think final fantasy is really what establishes them as something but what, what you're describing there i think is very interesting because it's this interplay of game mechanic and storytelling right and both are pushing on each other in a meaningful way yeah and i don't know convincingly now granted i'm only maybe one-fifth of the way through 16 i don't know that 16 is capable is a game capable of doing or interested in doing that and that's a shame i've seen i think we lose something there i've i haven't so i've watched i think a couple of boss battles in 16 and there's a specific bit I think where your character has to do something called embrace the truth. Have you gone there yet? No, but maybe I'm close. Okay, because I read a bunch of reviews of 16, including ones by folks who didn't like it. And what those folks said in that review was that moment made them stand up and go, let's go. And I think like, okay, I mean, that's, we'll, we'll check in and right, see where, I, where I'm in a week or two. <laughs> whether or not that works dramatically, it is the team doing something that these other games have done, which is it's taking a moment of like character transcendence, them realizing who they are and making that part of the gameplay in a way where you like the player okay. experience what they're going through. Okay. So I, I look forward to that. And that is a fundamental Final Fantasy thing. I, I, think. I do think that what you're describing though, does highlight what i think is probably the most interesting mechanic in this game which is i mean obviously it is an action game at right. its core um there's a lot of button mashing comboing and chaining of of different types of attacks and as you go through the, more of the game it goes you know obviously you can do more than just hit 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 yeah. so hit let's four let's times, actually go combo, back so. and talk about the action um, stuff because that is kind of interesting like for ages final fantasy was turn-based right correct and there's been a lot of controversy, especially around stuff like Final Fantasy XII, Final Fantasy thirteen. Well, it starts with seven. I mean, actually, no, six. It starts with six, doesn't it? Oh, in in what way? Like having the the timer. Oh, the action, the active time battle called. system. Yeah, no. active time. So that actually starts in four. Oh, I it believe. starts in four. Four is the one that, and four okay. actually makes pretty good use of it. So I mean, like so, it's so early in there, right? Yeah. So I think one through three are turn based. Four brings in something called the active time battle system, where the idea is all your party members are in a timer. And when that timer completes, they can do an action. Right. Um, they can either attack. Sometimes if you want to use magic, you have to wait a little bit for the magic spell to go off. But the idea is it's first off trying to create more of a sense of immediacy where you are there tension. in the battle. More but tension. That's yeah. right. But it does also open some really interesting opportunities. So, for instance, there's a very famous Final Fantasy IV enemy called the Demon Wall, mm -hmm. which is this giant scary wall that spends the whole battle coming closer and closer to you. And if the wall hits your party members, you die. And so it's a timed race, right? Where you have to just do as much damage to the wall as possible before it crushes you. This is something that you could probably do in a turn-based system. Just say win the battle within a certain number of turns or you die. But that um, it's time creates this immediacy where it's yeah. not just a matter of win the battle in this many turns. It is you have this amount of the demon wall's terms before it squishes you. Right. Yeah. So stuff like that is really cool. There's also things like enemies being able to engage in dialogue in real time during the battle that I mean, sort of play out while your characters are fighting. That's something that the ATB allows you to do and, that and I think turn that's a, doesn't necessarily do. In the history of gaming, I think it's, it is an important moment when you get that because we now exist in a world where action RPGs are more of a thing, timers on abilities, cooldowns, and things like 
you know, you can't get Xenoblade, for instance, without that being a thing that happens at, you know, point in time. So the active time battle system is created, I believe, by someone named Hiroyuki Ito, who's one of these very famous Final Fantasy names that always comes up in these sorts of discussions. And you know what's a really funny thing about Ito? He's a huge sports fan. Interesting. So ages ago, Jeremy Parrish, who's this long... I mean, now I think he works for Limited Run Games, but he used to be a games journalist. He managed to get a hold of Ito to interview, and Ito, of course, was like, why are you talking to me? But Parrish was a hardcore nerd, so he knew that Ito was really important to the series. So Parrish asked Ito, like, where do you get the idea for Active Time Battle? And I believe that Ito says something like, well, I really love American football. And they wanted to make a system that looked American football. That makes sense. And it's kind of true. Like, you have your party members yeah. on the battlefield. Time goes by. They look advanced. Yeah. Um, go, they go they backwards to, or forwards, you know, right? You get a play every – and you have some X amount of minutes or seconds, rather, exactly. to get a playoff. And yeah. then you rinse and repeat, and you presumably make progress or regress. Depending so I feel on like in that happens. sense, like, that sense of momentum has always been a part of what Final Fantasy is. Going yeah. back all back I mean, then. I, I actually think that's as someone who's a fan of both sports and right. video games and gaming in general and game systems, um, that is a much easier connection to make than most realize because a lot of people kind of are into either sports or games. But when you look at the mechanical aspects, I mean, they're all games. Sports are all games yeah, at, no, at their true. core. So anyways. Um, trying to think. I have a bunch of other names here I'd love to get into. Um, we'll, we'll see if we have time. So let's see. What else is there? What else is there? Another important thing about Final Fantasy. Okay, graphics, hugely important. Final Fantasy has always been about evolving right. presentation and finding new, way to, new ways to right. present these things. Well, and when I mentioned big story, I right. think a big, a big, uh, an important part of, of what qualifies the big is spectacle. Yes. And the ways in which I think Final Fantasy has chosen to present that spectacle over the years has been by saying that we have the best graphics yeah. in video games. Final Fantasy has always prioritized spectacle yeah. over almost anything else. Yeah. And use that as a means of storytelling, but it's always at the front. To the point that I think it's hurt the series at times, because keeping up that standard has meant making sacrifices elsewhere <coughs> that people have had problems with. Or even just something like Final Fantasy thirteen, Like, um... Mm. That's fair. That's a game I think people have really come around on over the years and said, oh, people unfairly bashed it when it came out. Now that you look at it with the benefit of hindsight, you can see what they were doing. But it is a game where they're making it. They were saying, we want to make a game of graphics at least as good as Call of Duty Modern Warfare, but how do we make a 100-hour game with that standard of visuals? And what they did was they put it all in a corridor and really rigorously tried it to control what they It opens up eventually, doing. from what I understand. But yeah, still. but and I think, people again, people a lot of people do like it now, but they made that choice because they couldn't figure out how to do a game with modern graphical fidelity that was also as long as typical Final Fantasy game was expected to be. It became yeah. very challenging. Which, and I think probably it is still a problem for them. I, I do think, again, this is me editorializing here, I think that's a priority that while it, it has been fun to experience the results of at times, is also misguided because... It, I think, in some ways, to, to that point, it detracts from the game, the story they're able to tell. Um, I mean, honestly, shame. I would say the opposite. I would say that at times it has been the crux of how they've told stories. Right. So, That's true. for instance, um, starting with games like Final Fantasy. So, first off, like you've said, the idea of bigness, the idea of space has always been a part of Final Fantasy from its inception. One of the things Big about swords, these, too. Yeah. One of the things <laughs> about these games is these worlds that are constantly changing or transforming final fantasy three famously starts with the whole world being flooded and you go through thing. Oh, that's the game. It's just this tiny little landmass. But at some point 
you unflood the world and open up the rest of the landmass. Like yeah. that kind of series trope is right there at the very start. Even though people, a lot, I think a lot of people in the U.S. say, oh, Final Fantasy III doesn't really matter. That's not true. It really matters. You can see stuff in it all through the rest of these games. Um, Final Fantasy IV lets you go underground and lets you go into space. Final Fantasy V not only has you move between different worlds, but smushes all those worlds together in one big world. Final Fantasy right. VI has a shift between the world of balance, where the game starts, and the world of ruin, where the, that original world is destroyed. All of these games make something about opening up spaces, closing spaces, throwing you somewhere unexpected, making a space a different space. This has always been part of it from the start. And I think it's no coincidence that folks like Tetsuya Takahashi, who go on to make Xenogears and the Xenoblade games, yeah. got to start working working on games at Square. On a failed Final Fantasy VII, basically. Yeah, but <laughs> even on Final Fantasy VI, if you play Final Fantasy VI, the opening sequence yeah. that has the Magitek armor walking through the snow, and you you look at it and you see like the play of the particles, the scale of the robots, how the horizon goes into the distance. Right. So I'm glad you bring that up because that's something yeah. else that 16 loses is there's still a big map and it still opens up throughout the game and eventually you get more freedom to explore it but it opens up the way you interact with it is through lo specific locations right and that's that something that actually on. started earlier um, right. final fantasy so final fantasy 10 famously the pilgrimage mm -hmm. and the way that works is you just constantly go from place to place to place to place along a straight line it's kind of similar to 13 in that way and then when you eventually unlock an airship you don't actually get to physically fly your airship around. You just choose from a menu. Right. So this is a sacrifice that Final Fantasy made back in the PlayStation 2 days. Because again, like having an open area is really difficult. I think Final Fantasy 12 gives you more freedom. But again, that is... I think one of the tricky things about Final Fantasy is that you have a lot of different people with their own priorities who are making these games. Final Fantasy 12 comes from a lineage of folks who worked on games like uh, Final Fantasy Tactics and Tactics Ogre, like more kind of right. Western influence games. So they make freedom more of a priority. Right. While something like Final Fantasy X is much more directed. It wants you to experience events in a certain order. Right. So I would say both of those impulses have been, part of, have been part, a part of the series from its inception. And actually, Fair. as a matter of fact, um, if you go back through the series, despite the fact... So I guess what I would say about how Final Fantasy hand handles transportation, they... They love to give you new vehicles, especially the earlier games. They'll say, oh, now you can ride a boat around, you can ride a dragon around, you can ride an airship around. But all of that is illusory. They will give you something that will unlock one or two new areas and it will take that thing away from you. And they just do right. that again and again and again. One of the most common things through the Super Nintendo games is, again, they'll restrict your movement. They'll give you something that seemingly gives you the freedom to do whatever you want, but really only takes you to the next area. And then they immediately constrain you again. And it isn't until the very end of the game that they'll open things up or yeah. maybe they'll open things up completely, but then you realize, wait yeah. a second, there's a whole new world to explore. And then your ability to move will be constrained in that world. So like playing with linearity and nonlinearity has always been a part of these games going all the way back to the super Nintendo era. What, and I think, so I think we're getting now to where we get into a bit of a pickle with the final fantasy series of games, which is that across its history, it's been many things. Yeah. But I'm not quite done with graphics yet. There's one more Ooh, thing okay. I want to get to. Okay. And this is maybe the most important thing of all. So Final Fantasy VII, we've talked kind of around it and why it was important. Yes. Why would you say, like, what narrative was given to you as to, like, why the game mattered? I mean, this is me, me this is my own opinion. It's the first 3D one. Yeah, that's probably fair, but why else? 
Oh, it's also the Switch to the PlayStation, right? And as yeah. opposed to to being a Nintendo. Uh, I mean that that's a, that's the big schism in the games. I think the priorities begin to change radically. Right. Because but any, is there anything else that like stood out to you? Why else would you think it was really important? It's more modern, I think, in its presentation, like the 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 setting. That's yeah, all I got. So, <laughs> I think. I mean, it's also a lot of what I've said about Final Fantasy games that we've had in the past is through Final Fantasy VII. But there's one thing in particular that I think was gestured at by some of the earlier games that Final Fantasy VII manages to pull off and I think simultaneously sets... It also doesn't have classes. Sets the path for the rest of the games, for like the whole games industry as a whole. There is a scene where you see the train in Midgar, this giant science fictional city, and it's a cutscene. Cloud jumps off of the train... And oh, then right, right. suddenly you realize you're an engine. Right. You're no longer watching a video. You're in the game. Right. And then Cloud fights someone. And that transition is extremely seamless. At the time, right. At the time that right. w- would have been, yeah. I mean, honestly, even today, I think it, it holds up relatively well. You can still see the scenes where the graphics change a bit. But it's like a very convincing illusion in the same way that Final Fantasy VI played with Mode Seven. Like, it created this illusion of 3D, even though it wasn't really 3D. Final Fantasy VII sells this idea that somehow it moves between video and game without you ever noticing it. It's a magic trick in that way. And every single big-budget game since then has been chasing that high, I think. Mm. You look at any modern game, it's all stuff like God of War, where it's like, okay, um... We want to fake the whole game so it looks like it's all one shot. So you always feel like you're controlling the action even when you aren't. And then also, like whenever whenever there's a big mm. fight, we'll swing the camera around and then all of a sudden, wow, you're playing the game. You're playing the bad guy. I didn't catch that, right? It's like surprising you with this idea that you thought you're watching a movie, but you're not. So I think... And that starts with Seven, I that's think. That's fair. But that high, I think, also creates some of the wrongheadedness yes. in, in Final Fantasy because... They keep chasing, like trying to one up that high, and instead of refining it, instead of just being content with, we will just get better at this. They try to always. I mean, I don't like. I remember like eye models being shown off during various like yeah. you know Final Fantasy like game engine like demonstrations, and it's like okay, that's awesome. I mean, the most but- famous story with I think Final Fantasy, the original Final Fantasy fourteen, was that someone spent like a month just making a model of a pot in the game because no one gave them anything. It was either a pot or a rock, one or the other, but just they were putting all of this detail in just one thing. Final Fantasy 13, I guess, similarly, they spent a huge amount of time on concept art and just kind of brought everything together at the very last minute when they realized they had to make something coherent out of all of that. Oh, and 15 almost fell and, apart. Yeah, of course, because 15 of that. that was being developed by Tetsuya Nomura, a very talented character designer. At some point when making the game, he just said, let's make it a musical. And everyone around him went, what are you doing? Okay, that's enough, right? <laughs> we, gotta, we still have yeah, to make exactly. a game. <laughs> but, you know, I think at the same time, like that kind of spirit is also what makes these games interesting because they're never... Right. Like after Final Fantasy VII, they could have just made another game like Final Fantasy VII, but they didn't. They made Final Fantasy VIII, which is a game that consciously like wants to be a story about people is straight up a love story um really has its main character be very grumpy and off-putting before kind of getting into his neurosis and having you realize wait he, right. he's acting like a real teenager to some degree right like they they consciously did something very different um well and i think that's 
Okay, so I'm going to give kudos to 16 because I think, so again, what you're highlighting there is a deliberateness in game design. Right. Which I think wasn't there for 15. Uh, 15 was not deliberate, I think, in anything other than trying to be everything. I mean, I think the folks with 15 tried their best. The problem was that despite the fact that that game design cycle was so long, the, really, the whole thing was really just thrown together in two or three years. Because they're trying to do too much. I think at every step that game wanted to be more and more and more. And at some point it just had to be done. And I think yeah. what you end up with as a result is this jointed, me- this jointed mess of like, there's a prequel movie and there's like these other like animated shorts and uh, all of this is feeding into the story. I think and then- in terms of um, other games that I think should be given more credit, Final Fantasy 12 had what's called the Gambit system where the idea is that you can automate your character's actions they you can sort of give them little instructions like for instance heal someone if their health falls below 50 percent, or steal from a monster until it doesn't have an item and they don't steal from them anymore that kind of thing so a lot of people criticized it at the time because they said oh what are you talking about this game will play the game for you why should we play it ourselves but once games like dragon age start coming out you start seeing western role-playing games directly adapt this framing they'll say oh this game lets you automate your party members so that they'll do what you tell them to do or you can give them certain strategies right. to follow now final fantasy not invent that dragon quest was experimenting with this stuff ages ago but the idea of controlling character controlling a party of characters in a 3d space where you can specifically give them instructions to follow was something that final fantasy helped pioneer and was dismissed at the time as something that was like just a stupid idea but was then eventually taken up by uh, western rpg studios which i think is worth pointing out right um, no, sorry. I was trying to, to go somewhere with with my little ramble about oh, sixteen, uh, which is that what sixteen chose to do following fifteen is that it very specifically, it, whether or not it succeeds narratively or otherwise, they had a idea of what this game should be. Yeah, I mean, I haven't played um, sixteen yet, but my idea, of the pitch, just from looking at it, is some of the people who worked on Final Fantasy Tactics. And the Heavensward expansion of Final Fantasy fourteen said, if we basically just do a Final Fantasy take on God of War, like the new one, right. and just have our kind of story in it, then we can just do whatever we want, and people will buy it. Well, and it's, again, whether or not that is wrongheaded, it's evident, and from a game design standpoint, they've had a very clear, like, you know trajectory yeah. in this and it where it lands it feels you know i i'm not a big enough action fan to tell you right is this a good action game i really couldn't tell you i mean final fantasy is but always it feels good to play it it's always been populous right like it always chases a large audience yeah. and i think that's part of maybe what's given it some trouble because it always right. has to be bigger final fantasy always but, grows and, and right? i mean i think that's part of it because like you mentioned 12 12 was controversial for its mechanics when it first came out yeah um and 16. also a disaster production right well, the true. director left early um a lot of the people there are people who complain about 12 story who say it's not fleshed out the people who made the game agreed they just didn't have enough time to put in what they wanted right yeah. and, I, and i think for all of what i think there's criticism now of 16 for the same things because it's it's not what some people expect out of a Final Fantasy. Oh, yeah. Um, because they've been more deliberate, I think... I mean, who knows? We might get stories about the production of this game where it's uh, it was a mess. Because everything these days where you look... These things heck, are really hard to make. Exactly. Yeah. Like You look at something like Spider-Verse. We were having this conversation offline as well. It's like, this seems like it was 
done the right way. No, actually, it wasn't. It's just as problematic as everything else. So I who think knows? My guess running on what's been said in interviews is that Final Fantasy 16. Okay, actually, here's what I made. Here's what I did. I yes. made a list. Ooh. So okay. I tried to separate these into eras, sort of, and these aren't quite right because all these games feed into each other despite the fact that they're all so different. I was having this conversation with my friends yesterday, and they were saying, uh, there isn't really a crux point in this series until the, the gulf between seven and eight or so. But here's how I would personally group these games in my head. You have the first three games for the Super Nintendo for the original Nintendo Entertainment System. Okay. They influence a lot of co- what comes later, and the second one especially because it's developed by Akatoshi Kawazu, who did the Saga games. That right. one is quite different in a lot of ways, but these help create the foundation for what these games will be. Uh, the fourth and the fifth one are pretty different in terms of priority. Fourth is very story focused and takes a lot of influence from plays and theater. While five has the job system and really focuses on gameplay, but even then still has a lot of four influence theatrical moments in it. Uh, These game, these two games for me are sort of what this series is in the super Nintendo era. Now six is the last super Nintendo game. I was going to say, and seven (laughs) is the first PlayStation game. But I would actually group these two together because I would mm. say that six is actually the blueprint for what seven is. They're both stories about a resistance group in this sort of post-apocalyptic setting, fighting against an empire, or a large corporation that then goes seriously wrong. Um, there's these ideas. I of, know enough that I agree. There's these ideas <laughs> like, oh, that the world is falling yeah. to pieces. How do you find like hope in a world that's being destroyed? There's this sense of seriousness and drama among the characters. Right. I would say that seven is probably more directed where six has a huge cast, which is not very consistent. Like some of them gets much more developed than others. I think seven is probably more even in terms of fleshing out the character. I think aesthetically too, they have very different goals, which is why I think most people wouldn't group those two together. But um, I mean, they're, they're also both more science fiction oriented. Like they're where the sort of weirder robot side of final fantasy really starts coming out. That's fair. Like, yeah. 6 is kind of a steampunk game, and then 7 just goes full into sort of Blade Runner 80s anime Neon. OVA, like Neon yeah. Genesis Evangelion sort of stuff. I should also yeah. say anime is just a huge influence for all of this. Like, not only do you, are Chocobos just ripped directly out of Nazca, the Valley of the Wind, but also stuff... That's true. Yeah, but also just stuff like Cloud's Crisis of Identity and that sort of thing. Right. feels like it's very much in dialogue, in dialogue with what was coming out in the 90s. Final Fantasy is not the only game series to be borrowing from this stuff. Like, if you look at the Persona at the Shimigami Tensei games, those are very heavily influenced by the sorts of, like, grim, dark movies and oh, OVAs yeah, sure. we saw coming out in the 80s and 90s. But that's definitely a huge part of them. So, all right. So then do you have a trajectory? So after so 7. After 7, you have kind of like what I call the Imperial. All of this is bullshit. None of it really matters this is how I conceptualize it in my head. Yeah, what I call the Imperial phase, which is when Final Fantasy was kind of on top of the world and was very confident. You had 8, which was completely different from 7. You had 9, which was kind of a very indulgent retrospective by Hironobu Sakaguchi. But they could do whatever they wanted That's because right. they were on top of the world. And then you had 10. And 10, I think, was the last Final Fantasy game that was really in the zeitgeist. Like, the later right. ones were also very popular, but I think that's when they started to lose coherence and, like, the idea of a Final Fantasy game become much more nebulous. Well, it's also they start chasing fads after that point, which is another issue, which we can get to in a second. Maybe. That's my own perception of it. I can explain why why I say that. Um, So, 11 is a multiplayer game, 
and is hugely popular, but it's also kind of taking place in its own little world. And that's what kind of what I mean because MMOs were probably but you know the they really committed to it. Like I think Eleven True. was pretty successful, and I think is still going. Even like it's a game that still has its fans. Despite but the I mean, fact you can say the same thing. Fourteen also was a disaster launch, oh, but it's it's one of yeah. the most successful but MMOs. Eleven right launched. Now. I think Eleven launched much more confidently than Fourteen. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Twelve. I like a lot, but was a huge mess in part because the, the director is a perfectionist who was, I think, not very well suited to the culture at Square Enix. 13, again, people now defend as a pretty interesting game, but is also very linear and is compromised by the fact and that they are did, switching. It did spawn new, two sequels, yeah. which is not nothing. I think they were switching to a new um, a new platform, and that was challenging for yeah. them. It was challenging for a lot of other Japanese developers. It is weirdly telling that I think the PlayStation 3 is still the only way to play that game, maybe other than... Um, what do you call it? PC. I don't, it's we, on we PC. Had to, we had this conversation earlier. Yeah, it's on there. Yeah. Fifteen again takes forever to make, and they end up just scrapping someone together at the very last minute, which is too bad because I think that team deserved a lot better than just be given someone else's leftovers. And, and, and to, to explain it. about what I meant by chasing fads, open world was the big fad around the time of fifteen. Yeah, and that's probably one of the most controversial elements because the implementation feels lackluster and kind of perfunctory. So now I think we're in a period where. Final Fantasy is trying out a couple different things, but they seem more confident to me in what they're making. Despite the fact, you know, Final Fantasy VII Remake was also apparently really hard to make. Like, I think CyberConnect 2 was working on it for a while, and they got taken off. And then some other folks went on to it, and eventually it came out, and people really liked it. But it was a game where I think they were really trying to figure out exactly what they wanted it to be. Like, if it, how to get that balance right of having the same material as the original updating it for a new audience i guess right. or even just something like changing the battle system because it's more action influenced right like it has a party it, but it's more it is but i would still describe 7r as being somewhat a role-playing game in the sense of the items and equipment and the party co- well composition less so but the party interaction the degree to which you kind of issue orders to your party or even switch between characters can have a real impact right. on the game. Whereas in 16, you have a dog you can issue commands to. That's so, very limited. It's more like using a, another ability. And then it's it's really like the combat, it is not at, in any way to me that of a role-playing game. In fact, to the point where I would say that 16 is no longer a role-playing game, either in the way that you interact with the world or in the ways in which you leverage items and equipment to interact with the world. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think Final Fantasy has ever really prioritized being a role-playing game. Like, it did at the start, but I think it's always been about, like I said, right. using gameplay mechanics to deliver story. But they were still... Cor- but it, it's also how you make choices in terms of gameplay. But the choices are is... always basically fake. I mean, to some degree, True. yeah. I suppose, maybe. I mean, like, 6 and 7 famously gave you a lot of control over how to build your characters to the point you could basically make them all the same. Right. Um, I think Final Fantasy has been very flexible in that way. Um, where, I mean, the earlier ones would again say, uh, okay, you have to develop this character in a certain way, but many of them will just let you do whatever you want in ways that break the game, which is also a crucial point of Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy doesn't really care about balance. It kind of just lets you do whatever, which means that they are all very... Oh, you can break seven. I mean, yeah. I, you know... That's, they are all yeah. very lumpy games, so that's also part of the charm that they give you so much despite the fact that they, like, can't give it to you all perfectly. Right. So what, what was I going to say? Um, okay, so 7 Remake is a very popular game. It's also... 
I think, very much concerned with the past and what comes after the past. It's like about nostalgia, right. but also about how nostalgia isn't enough. Like that is baked into what changes they make to the original game. It's actually kind of funny because there's a zeitgeist here. Have you seen Spider-Verse yet? Yes. Okay. There's a zeitgeist here as to what is canon and in terms of like specifically, explicitly so in, in Spider-Verse. And like if you change canon, that's a bad thing. Right. And 7R also plays with that same notion. I mean, to of... be fair, this kind of bullshit is also the kind of thing you see in stuff like Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. Like, I think yeah, it's fair. just like Tetsuro Nomura all the way down, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not just Mura. him. It's other people, too. <laughs> but this is something that they think about a lot. Yeah. Um, Final Fantasy 16 is what if a Final Fantasy was Game a main... No, <laughs> no. It's what if a Final Fantasy was like a Sony game? Like, what if it was The Last of Us Part 2? Yeah, or, Which or is, um, I don't know, uh, what is it, the Naughty Dog one. You know, uh, I mean... The other one, the... the oh, uh, Uncharted. Uncharted. I mean, personally, you. to me, that actually makes me not at all interested because yeah. that's always a kind of game I have never really played. Like, I don't come to Final Fantasy for that kind of thing. So the idea that it would adapt itself to that yeah. and just be, like, these serious dramas that model themselves on movies is something that kind of bums me out. But that's something it's trying for now, and maybe the next entry will be different. And then you have Final Fantasy XIV, which I think is the single most successful Final Fantasy entry in a while. It's the one yeah. that broke out that reversed the sort of fading relevance of the series and the one that's closest to the heart of people's attention. It depends attentions. on how you consider success because fifteen was more successful in terms of sales than people realize. It broke ten million. Yeah, I mean I think um, it, it, I wouldn't be surprised if it did pretty well. I think it's just I feel like people I see online are really passionate about especially the later stages of fourteen. Like I think sixteen was developed by the Heavensward team, which is an entry people really like. But the ones that people just went completely apeshit for are Shadowbringers and Endwalker. Right, um, which were right. headed by this writer uh, Ishikawa, I think. I'm really curious if she ever gets a chance to write a mainline Final Fantasy game. I definitely want to see what that is, especially because yeah. there. So there have been a good number of women on Final Fantasy, but not, not as 16. many as there should be. <laughs> but for instance, you had, um, I think, I, I thought it was Kazut. I think Kazuka Shibuya, who was the pixel artist on Final Fantasy 1 through 6. Like, as much as people credit Yoshitaka Amano as the artist for those games, Amano only ever did the sketches. And it was actually Shibuya who translated mm. those sketches and the art. So she has been at the heart of this entire series from the start. Interesting. Yeah. So, and you had people like, um, now I think she goes by the name Soraya Saga. But the right, person right. who worked on Xenogears and Xenosaga yep. actually had a key role in Final Fantasy VI. She writes like two particular characters in that game. Right. So you've had some woman working behind the scenes on these projects. Although, again, frankly, going back through these games, they don't have a good track record with this stuff. No. Six and, is the first yeah. one that, you know, six starts with you playing Terra, who's a female character, which is great but there are only two women in the whole cast and they sort of get the emphasize the further on you go, except for, except for Sela's who sort of becomes a second protagonist. But even she like, I hurt. honestly, yeah. I honestly feel like 16 in some ways is a regression point almost in that regard, 
to the point but where... But there's... I don't know if there's anything to regress from. Like, what I would say... That's true. There are, there are a couple of Final Fantasy games that I think do better with this stuff. 13 is one... Well, by default of having a female protagonist, I But mean. not just that, but that it has characters who are given room to talk to each other, figure this stuff out right, on their own. right. Final Fantasy games, especially the later ones that put a large amount of emphasis into character psychology, just having scenes of people standing around thinking about what they're going to do. And I think 13 is successful. This 10, I think, is also pretty successful. This that It has Yuna, who's a character right, who that's true. is not the main character of the game, but is kind of the dramatic crux of it. To do. That she's the one who carries the heaviest burden. That said, but that doesn't happen until the 2000s. Right. Like for basically Final Fantasy one through nine, maybe I think seven and eight, you start seeing more female characters appear and like more attention paid to this stuff. But the series, especially under Hironobu Sakaguchi's direct supervision, has always been pretty bad at this. Right. Which is not an excuse. I mean, if anything, it's an outrage that so many Japanese role playing games have just failed at this consistently. Well, it's the, the because you know is... even going back to 1987 fantasy star was a game developed by in part by riko kodama who was a woman and an artist right and shaped that series a series that is much better about this stuff than usual fantasy star didn't become a final fantasy side series but it's pretty ahead of its time in a lot of ways and like the character writing in final fantasy and the, the character writing in, in fantasy star 4 is pretty nuanced about this stuff like, it'll do things like, oh, no, female characters die, but it never frames that in the same way you'll see in a Final Fantasy game. Um, right. I mean, I think you you hit the nail on the head because the issue is having more women in the writer's room or leading oh, yeah, one of these sure. games. Which and is I, why I'd love to see know. Ishikawa from Final Fantasy fourteen well, be given a leading role because I feel like... Right. I mean, there it should not be, ah, yes, it is your job, woman, to fix these games. That's not the argument that's kind of stupid but there should be well there should a more diverse be, team right there should always the be a more diverse writing that group, yeah. final fantasy 16 which i haven't played apparently really badly handles slavery and racism it's like something that well and also it's female characters i mean it is yeah. this game actually has probably one of the most egregious fridgings in recent gaming which i should say so is also that's... something again that goes back to this team's previous games final fantasy 14 heaven's word which is written by similar folks, has similar problems. Final Fantasy Tactics, right. a game I love, sort of fails in this respect as well. But, but that's the difference because you look at Tactics, that's an, you know, it's one of these things I actually was having this exact conversation with someone else. There are some of these like mistakes or foibles or whatever you want to call them in games where you look at an older game from maybe a decade or even two decades ago and you kind of excuse it as a product of its time. But this is 2023. I think part of it is that a lot of the people who are making these decisions are the same people who are making them 10 or 20 years that's, ago. That's, and they haven't learned anything. Touche. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, um, and it's not exactly the same people. Like uh, Yasumi Matsuno, who is the guy that I think Final Fantasy 16 is chasing. He's the guy who did Final Fantasy Tactics. He did yeah. Tactics Ogre. He did Vagrant Story. Games that I think, honestly, more than writing, just have incredible aesthetics. You have people who've tried to do those sorts of games. But another thing about Matsuno despite the fact that his games do an amazing job of evoking this sense of age and like characters living in like a lived in space, like evoking history, his history was a kind of history that is like based very heavily on tabletop wargaming, 
it's not something like what actual history was. I mean, I guess right. it is in a sense. Like, for instance, Tactics Ogre was heavily inspired by wars going on, massacres going on in Europe. Like, he would draw from it in that way. And also, I guess Final Fantasy sixteen now tries to turn its story in a kind of ecological metaphor in the same way that you see in stuff like Final Fantasy seven, for instance. So it... But I think... Um, it is. I will say something really quick on that. It's unfortunate that I played sixteen so soon after reading Broken Earth, because there's a lot of similar things. I noticed that reading. I read yeah. through a synopsis and what happens, and there is a good amount of stuff there. Yeah. Down from there's an inc- more advanced ancient civilization down to the addiction to a magical power that is in some ways having unintended destructive right. Which, again, consequences. Which, to be fair, isn't, slavery. isn't isn't past Final Fantasy games as well. Like Final Fantasy six is yeah. about an empire that uh uses magic becomes addicted to it is sort of destroyed by it it's right. about like the remnants of people living in that world trying to survive and to be fair i mean famously if we're talking about japanese role-playing game trope namers castle in the sky yeah pulls oh, this oh. this idea oh long ago there was this ancient kingdom that had magic but they well, abused that technology and went to a place where you can't find them anymore at stake is hardly the originality of it but rather the execution which is yeah. Broken Earth is so much better. Well, and the execution yeah, is amateurish by comparison. Because again, it's like it takes. <laughs> you have games that take influence from Game of Thrones, which was yeah. a foundational '90s classic, and fantasy in the in uh, the U.S. has gone through like 20 years of change and growth, and probably the same things happened mm-hmm. in Japan. But the people making these games are all people who grew up reading that stuff. It's why you see um, Apple and Amazon all just produce television shows based on sci-fi novels from the 50s and 60s because that's yeah. what they read. But where's the Broken Earth TV series? It's not out yet. I know. That's what we re- really what well, the conclusion here from this pod as well. We need that. But anyways, it's true. But did so, you, do, you oh, get, do you get what I'm saying? I guess what I'm trying to say is like, if you go back, a lot of this stuff is there. I think it's it's tricky because every Final Fantasy game right. is different in that they all have different priorities, maybe different people. But it's also true. There is this connective tissue. It, there is. but so, right. and, that, and I was actually trying to, to echo that earlier where I was kind of going on this 15 sort of tangent because I think 15 makes the mistake of saying all of these elements are valid and they can be valid at almost at the same time. And it tries to fit too much into one game and it almost breaks the back of that game. Um, and that was, I think, a mistake. And then what we end up with now with 16 is a much more focused approach, but at the sort of you know, cost of other things that you would consider potentially foundational in a Final Fantasy game. So I think um, one of the central parts of Final Fantasy to me, compared to other role-playing games, is, and this is something, I don't know if I said this earlier in the podcast, there's someone mm-hmm. named Harper J, who's a great former Kotaku writer, who's actually been writing about Final Fantasy 16 since they've been playing it. But one of the things they say, they say Final Fantasy is a mirror. It's something that always reflects its time um going back in history like um final fantasy one takes a lot of influence from stuff like ultima and from michael moorcock's novels final fantasy two borrows from star wars final fantasy seven um very directly borrows from a lot of 90s pop culture at the time i feel like you look at any final fantasy game and it is dated it always comes off as an artifact of whenever it came out. See, but that's, I think, issue with 16 on that because I think, and that's why I also consider it to be more regressive because I don't see that in 16. I would disagree. I would say that 16 is, uh, they watched like 
Game of Thrones Correct. and TV dramas and said, oh, this is what people like. Let's make but, that. But, but that's already aged at this point. Yeah, but I think a, another part of that is that these games take longer to make now. That's true. And that's that's back in. And this yeah. is another fascinating thing. If you look at back in the day, um, they'd release a Final Fantasy title once every one or two years. And as you got in the PlayStation era and the PlayStation 2 era, these development cycles started increasing. Games became more complicated to make, and so it increased further. Final Fantasy 16 had a relatively short development cycle compared to the other ones, but True. still longer. And so it hilariously hits as a Game of Thrones-inspired game at a time when people have moved past Game of Thrones. Correct. But, and gotten tired of it. Yeah. But I think part of that, I mean, it's also that I think the the zeitgeist in terms of what people are into has splintered more than I think maybe yeah. in the past. Maybe that's part of it too, but I don't know. It just doesn't strike but I true think in that moving way. past Final Fantasy 16 for a second, I think that so much of the series has been that. Oh, absolutely. That it's been 100%. 100%. so much um, defined by what was going on around it. So I have to ask and you. And that's not necessarily true of every series. Like Dragon Quest feels like it's evolved some, but despite the fact that it's been pretty ambitious with its mechanics and with changing up the structure, it has always kept like the central uh, Akira Toriyama boys own adventure story. Absolutely. Shimigami that Tense aesthetic. Yeah. yeah. Shimigami Tensei is just rooted so deeply in edgelord 90s stuff that feels like it might never be able to enroot itself from that. Uh, no, but it does. I think it tries. It just kind of squiggles within those lines. <laughs> yeah. Persona came out like in the early 2000s. I feel like it. Persona 3 onwards is really enmeshed in that stuff. And also, like, in its gender and sexual politics in a way where it also feels like it can never extricate itself from. Um, and, of course, there's other game franchises like this as well. And there have been times when these games have taken such a big swing that people have gotten put off. You look at the Breath of Fire games and how Breath of Fire, uh, especially, like, 2 through 4, are really charming and have great graphics and are these very cozy fantasy role-playing games. And then Dragon, uh, Breath of Fire 5 is just this ice-cold, consciously difficult pseudo-roguelike in a science fiction setting. And it's seen today as this game that was very ahead of its time, but back then no one knew what to do with it. It swung too far outside of what its remit was, and everyone lost track. Right. But I think Final Fantasy, the fact that it has, it can always be dated to when it came out, is its weakness. And I think to some degree... The fact that it's well, been so shaky over the past several years is because it's struggled to figure out what people want of it, I guess. It's been so many different things, and it's cap it's been in so many different time periods that like finding what people find cool is tricky, even at a time when people are really into anime stuff and that sort of thing. So again, that's what I think, for better or worse, I'm glad that they t chose a direction with 16. Yeah. No matter damned what anyone else thinks because 14 going to be this because 14 definitely despite right. the fact that it has moments that are very 16 ish and despite the fact that the people making it have a lot of affection for folks like matsuno's work which right. is again more grounded kind of political fantasy stories there's a lot of kind of wild anime bullshit in there too right and i think that has it's part of what made that game really appeal to people especially when you start getting stuff like Shadowbringers and endwalker but that know, you have these stories that are more um, I don't know if emotional is the right word, but they're trying to be a different kind of. But you said I think. something there, anime yeah. bullshit. 
16 doesn't really have anime bullshit. I'll know. Um, have you seen some of those icon battles? I have. And I think there's maybe... They get pretty outrageous. That's like some Ashura's Wrath-style nastiness in there. But I think aesthetically the game is just tr trying yeah. to be I mean, so gritty. The aesthetic that... is definitely very realistic. It, yeah. It, but like not... It's like quote-unquote realistic in a way where it's evoking these sorts of like, oh, right. everything is dirty, everyone is sad, the sky is gray, that kind of thing. And but I, it's, it's interesting yeah. because back when Final Fantasy XIII came out, which is an aesthetically gorgeous game set in this incredible world, everyone complained because they said that it was too, like, oh, it's too much like an anime. Like, the characters are too exaggerated and cartoonish. Yeah, but now it's too great, so I don't know. I mean, yeah. like, so you, what's, you can't you make know, everyone happy, Yeah, I guess. everyone will always complain about what the next one will be. And that's not to excuse the failures of the ones that come out, because, like I said, all of these games are yeah. flawed in some way. There's never been a perfect Final Fantasy. Some however, are less perfect than others. However, yeah, I have to ask you. Which one is your perfect? Oh, geez. Um, I because like, you played more of them. I can't yeah. really offer an answer to that because I have not played enough to really got, give that answer. But w which would be yours? I like Final Fantasy V a lot. Okay, which maybe is kind of a if you come from outside, it seems like kind of a weird choice. It's not. It's not like a foundational game like Seven. It doesn't have. Well, there is, are games like that's not six. True. It is foundational if you look at the the games that have come out of that tradition. Maybe like so all of Bravely Default. The thing, Octopath the thing with Final Fantasy V is that I think it's a game that embodies a lot of the strengths of the Super Nintendo era of Final Fantasy, which is the one I have the most attachment to. It's one that has this very complex character building system. It also has a lot of really fun gimmick bosses. It has these sort of spectacle driven set pieces, stuff like okay. Um, you're on a bridge, you have to fight a lot of monsters on the bridge, and when you fight a big boss, and you're not just like wandering through a dungeon, it's just like this cinematic set piece. You have a scene where you are in like a castle or a dungeon or something, and you're told you have to escape the dungeon in 10 minutes, because if you don't, you die. Um, there, there are sequences like you get your boat for the first time, and you're excited to explore, but you take the boat into a tunnel and get attacked by a monster, and the sea dragon that's towing your boat get sucked into the water with a monster and you get up and you get marooned in like a shipwreck in this um sort of ghost ship area right like you have these sorts of this this to me is where final fantasy really starts cooking it's when it starts building these chains of events that are all driven by character where if you look at them from the outside mm -hmm. they seem completely bullshit but then like in the moment they perfectly make sense um, like Final Fantasy VII, if it's okay, I'll talk about it for a little bit, even though it's not Final Fantasy V. Final Fantasy VII has this just really famous opening section, which is like the height of this for me in this series, where you're a cloud, you're on the train, you get you fight a bunch of people in the power plant, you get on the train again, you go to your hometown, you go on a mission, you meet Aerith for the first time, you go to Wall Market, you go up to the plates, the plates fall down, you go to Shinra, you run up the stairs, you fight Sephiroth, you fight someone, you lose, Sephiroth appears, he kills everyone there, you get on the motorcycle, you drive out, and you see the whole world, and then Final Fantasy VII appears on the screen, and you go, oh my gosh, that's the title drop right there, what's the rest of the game going to be like, right? It is just but beginning. That, when you look at it from the outside, you think, how is all this stuff connected, but when you're inside of it, it's just nonstop momentum all the way through. There's always something happening. I will say, and to that, that thing point, is never just a moment of. It's not go to next town, fight the boss, go to the next town. It's much more granular than that, where the pivot always like takes the characters somewhere. They're always doing something for a reason, not just because they have to find the next thing. 
I'll say to the point of what you're saying about seven, not to completely derail your point about five, but that that sequence you just described, yeah. even though it's maybe five hours of the original game, uh, was so foundational. They made a whole game out of it. Yeah, that's, that's what true. ours Final Fantasy VII remake. Yeah. yeah. So and five isn't that smoothly constructed necessarily, but it has some of that energy more than I think people give it credit for. I think a lot of people often say that four is a story focused one and five is the gameplay focused one, but there are scenes in five, I think where whether or not they're effective, because I don't think the question of whether they're effective is really the question to ask. It's more, how are they structured? And I think those moments in terms of how they handle staging are, where the legacy of the series rests. And to be fair, I, I had this argument with friends yesterday where they were saying, but how can you say it's just Final Fantasy? Because like Dragon Quest does this kind of thing. It has your characters run through set pieces and has like tragic events play out in boss battles and that kind of thing. It's not exclusive to Final Fantasy. I think that's true. Um, you can't have a history of Final Fantasy about talking about all the other games that are coming out at the same time and how all of them were kind of chasing the same stuff at the same time. Like how uh, Final Fantasy comes out with jobs and then uh, Dragon Quest Three has jobs, and then Dragon Quest Four has its kind of standalone splintered stories before Six suddenly comes and says, hey, we're going to have a sequence where you can choose which order to do these different character stories in, right? right? Like, all these games are reacting to each other all the time. But I think there's a sequence in Five that just really defines... Which is why I hope that 12, Dragon Quest Twelve doesn't decide to react to Sixteen because... Yeah. That's not really what I want out of that. But so anyways, there's a there's me. a sequence in five that to me is just such a typical classic Final Fantasy Super Nintendo sequence, where main character whose name is Bartz, which was written out as Butts in like the original version, it might still be Butts. I don't know why it's Butts, but he go. I think he goes back to his That's hometown. <laughs> he lays down in bed, or it's a scene where he lays down in bed in this house, and all of a sudden the camera moves to another house just out of frame and the whole house is replicated and butts Bart's is still there but he's a child and you're seeing what happened when his father left home mm. and his father leaves and then it kind of goes back to the original it's a cut scene but it's a cut scene that never it never like has it does not like fade to black and then fade to the flashback it almost again it does the theater thing right if it takes place you imagine it taking place in the theater it spins the set right and reveals other group of people who then have their own drama and then spins the set back like that kind of thing using the limited tool set given to them on this old hardware to tell these stories in the most efficient right. way possible with the pieces they had in ways that suggest something to the person playing it where they kind of create this idea in their head they have to connect the dots themselves and go wait a second like, this kid here looks just like this other guy. They must be connected in that way, right? Like, that's something that Final Fantasy does very well right. all the way through the series, despite the fact that, unlike Dragon Quest, which has had this core creative team all the way through, Final Fantasy has changed hugely. It was run by Sakaguchi until you had... um what are their names? Uh, Yoshinora Kitase and Kazushige Nojima running the show. Then you had um, Tetsuya Nomura come on board. You had folks like, I don't remember his name, but the specific guy who directs, who like worked on Final Fantasy X and then all the Final Fantasy 13 games had a particular directorial voice. 
many of these games are made by different folks, which is why they all seem so different. But they've always, I think, just been really good at that particular storytelling device, like finding ways to take the format and use it to sort of effectively convey drama to you. And has it gotten less efficient this over time? Yes, because it's become so consumed by graphical embellishment well, that's and by though. cinema that it is no longer, you know, like over time as they grow and grow and grow, it gets, I think it's gotten harder for them Depends to pull on us off. What do you understand by that? Which I think is why that becomes problematic because what you've highlighted from the beginning is an intention to convey cinematic mom <coughs> moments. I apologize. I'm choking on something. Um, and with that intent, there's different, there's a subjective element to yeah. it. What do you understand by cinematic moments? I would say that 16 is in some ways the pinnacle of that intention because you get these hugely cinematic moments that are very action gamey. I mean, I would, I However, would, yeah. you, I think what you're describing is more subtle in those games earlier on and used to greater maybe effect. So the problem is that so, 16 and, you know, 12, 13, they can't do it anymore in the same way. And one of those reasons is that there was a change in production, right? Like Final Fantasy used to be in 2D and then it became 3D. And right in the middle... It, so Final Fantasy VII was the first 3D game, but even Final Fantasy VII, you couldn't move the camera. Everything was very directed and grounded in these sort of dioramas that were constructed, those backgrounds. It wasn't... Even ten, I think, was very careful about giving you full camera movement. It wasn't until twelve or so that they really opened things up in that way. Right, right. Um, there are things that you can... You know, sprites are very abstract they are limited in ways that 3d models are not but they also give certain opportunities in what they suggest as these games evolve in terms of their visuals their presentation style also has to evolve and i think that while i don't agree that there's a difference in quality necessarily between a 2d and 3d games i think that if anything like the movement between those two is when the series really came into its own um there was a real challenge in figuring out how to transition from one set of affordances to another and what kind of uh, models and version of reality they were working with. Because there are things you can get away with. I mean, this was the challenge of Final Fantasy VII Remake, right? Like, there's an upcoming scene in Final Fantasy VII where Cloud reaches a faraway airship by jumping on a dolphin and flying up into the sky and that works but in on the playstation because all the characters are weird goofy little 3d spite sprites but if you make it all more realistic how does that work and i think that's something that remake has been juggling and trying to figure out and we'll see how that goes for future games considering where remake ends anyone's guess yeah no it's they true don't necessarily have to be true to that but um all right so but do you get do you get what i'm saying it's like yes as these games as their technology has changed and as the people behind them have changed um finding ways they, they've had to change the sort of thing they were making of only to meet the audience because again because these games have always reflected what people have been going through at the time they've shifted in that way so 
I don't know what this series is going to look like in the future. I'm going to assume there'll be another one of these games if 16 is successful. I would like it to be something else in an action game because we had a lot of those. I mean, well, you know, well, if they were, if they well, were to make... Hold up. Yeah. What do you mean by they've had a lot of... There's only been one action Final Fantasy, arguably, in the 16th. That is incorrect. Um, well, it depends on... Final Fantasy you, 15 depends, had a lot of action elements to it. Depends on... Okay, Final so, Fantasy 7 Remake correct. had a lot of action elements so, to but it. That is a line to be drawn be, that I'm drawing right now because those games had elements, whereas I would argue this is an action game. Yeah, I mean, I would even say and Final Fantasy a, 13... Like these games have starting right, but, with Final Fantasy twelve and automating things, it's been something that the series has been moving further and further away from turn based, at least for like a decade. But I make that point for a reason, Adam, because we're talking elements, right? Xenoblade has action elements, right? Yeah. But that does not make it an action game. And the reason I bring this up is because what you're describing or what you're wishing for is less action elements. But the reality of it is they've achieved their action dream in 16 and it's being well received we're not putting this genie back in the bottle we are final fantasy now is an action series i think what i would like to see because square enix like they committed to it is what i'm trying to say yeah, square because enix, we went from elements in 13 hell heck in 12 in 13 in fourteen is an MMORPG. By function, it has to be something else. Fifteen in seven R, in in Stranger of Paradise. All of these games have action elements, but they all fundamentally still had enough RPG there where you could still even pause the action. This game is sixteen is purely an action game. So this entire time, Square Enix. I mean, especially over the past two years, Square Enix has been releasing a bunch of turn-based games, but they're all much more small scale. Correct. So there's stuff like oh, yeah, um, yeah. the Bravely Default games, Octopath Traveler, everything made by that team, Triangle Strategy, etc. Stuff like the Live, the Live Alive remake. Um, I don't know how successful a bunch of them were, but it feels like, to me, that is the part of Square Enix that's actually the most confident. It's the one that's making these weird little B oh, games well. that are then coming out. <sighs> And I would like to think that maybe in the future we could have a Final that. Fantasy game that has the spirit of one of those weird little B games. Like, what if we had a triple A, a Dungeon Encounters game? That would never happen because Dungeon yeah. Encounters, basically, as far as I know, only exists because Hirohiko Ito could call in a favor and make like the weird math-driven dungeon game of his dreams, but. Dungeon Encounters to me is proof that like Square Enix still has it. They can make the best role playing game of all time if they wanted to. They they just don't no they don't think that anyone would buy it if they made like a mechanics heavy game of that. So kind. I wouldn't describe it as confident. I think they just roll more dice and see what sticks. And sometimes yeah. it hits. Like sometimes like I think what matters is the talent. The talent is there. Like there are yeah. people there yeah, who can make sure. that stuff. Yeah. It's just right now but that's not what they think a Final Fantasy should be. Clearly, yeah. Like Octopath Traveler is not Final Fantasy, is Octopath Traveler anymore? I mean, yeah. Octopath Traveler is, I would argue, a in some ways f very Final Fantasy inspired game, but it is not, however, anymore what they. Consider yeah, it's to also be. a series that's almost as bad about woman as Final Fantasy sixteen. Well, also that, frankly, yeah. but Square somehow, it, yeah. but 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 in the ways in which you have more narrative elements that are all sort of on the same footing in that game, it doesn't feel as egregious as the fridging in. 16 
So in that way, I mean, it I don't know. Octopath matter. Traveler, Octopath Traveler Two. I mean, Octopath Traveler Two is a little better than the first one in that regard. But one that there's it, it's it's not as I wouldn't trust any game made by that team when it comes to handling. Well, again, I'm stuff. not excusing it, right. but it the 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 place. Okay, you, the fridging. You do not get the rest of the story of sixteen without the fridging that happens. In Octopath Traveler, you can some each story is there. There are eight stories. Each one doesn't have to be experienced. So in that regard, they're not unnecessarily, you know, it's not as, it's more skippable, I guess. Yeah, what I'm I can to concede say. the point um, because I feel like there's more stuff that we want to get to. Um, well, but, but that's we the finished? question, Adam. We are we are almost at the two-hour mark. I was that's hoping right. this was going to be an hour and a half pod, and we are yeah. an hour and 50 minutes. So, um, so I will go say, quick. <laughs> if you want to check out Final Fantasy V, you can play the pixel remaster which has a cool remastered soundtrack or if you want to track down the game boy advanced version that probably has the best translation so that's a lot of fun now another fun thing to keep in mind when it comes to final fantasy 5 there is a yearly replay of the game for charity which i can't na pull a name from the top of my head right now but it's there's a program on the internet that will give you a set number of jobs and the challenges to beat the game with that set of jobs which is something you can actually do like final fantasy 5 is balanced in such a way that um you can replay of almost any set of characters and have a stand a decent chance of winning so that's one of the cool things about it as well um it's a it's a, a event that's raised a good amount of money over the years so that would be my challenge to anyone who says that final fantasy 5 doesn't matter because it's literally helped people many many times throughout who the says years. that uh don't ask. i bat back okay. yeah rhetorical anyway, question move on <laughs> um before we finish alex so yeah anyway final fantasy um there's no way we can do justice to it in a two-hour podcast you could do a two-hour podcast about every game in the series and people have done that L definitely listen to retronauts if you're interested well, to to be fair okay to be fair to you adam to be fair to our audience we will come back to this uh our conversation on final fantasy is but beginning um i'm sure that um i will get to f around to five at some point right. here um, so we'll be talking more about this. Also say, if you're someone who's listening to us talk about Final Fantasy 16 and you're thinking, I want to read great critical writing about Final Fantasy 16, definitely read Ash Parrish's, sorry, Ash Parrish's recent pieces on The Verge and also Gita Jackson's Review for the Polygon. And also, um, again, Harper J's pieces on their co-host, which I think is Dream Castaway. They've been doing like a great, uh, series of posts on the game where again like i have been trying to get at through this conversation like trying to think within the framework of the series what observations can we make about where the whole thing stands as a whole uh, they do a good job i think approaching that stuff so um i will say that remap they did a or rather patrick from remap that oh a very, yeah that a, that a review of uh, 16 as I well i haven't listened to that most recent one yet but i bet it's good he had a i mean his take was very succinct and i think i would agree with it you know uh which is that it's the action game feels good yeah. and is in you know fun to play but the world is not necessarily one that you will want to engage with mm. um and i think a lot of people will have a lot of very good reasons whether it is the way it treats its female characters or whether it's the way it treats uh its sort of perception of discrimination and and slavery um you know depending on who you are you might think it's really shallow and and stupid and and regardless of who you are i think it's objectively not very good the way the game treats those things mm. but some people will kind of gloss over that and be like this game is a masterpiece this is something that people said that. about like um final fantasy 14 stormblood i right. think which is an expansion part of final fantasy 14 
I think is supposed to have some very good bits, but also apparently really drops the ball when it comes to some similar stuff. Like, especially, I think it's a whole thing about, I mean, just economic inequality and like the way that certain things work in that game, I think, are like not very well handled, maybe. But right. then, like, other parts, like once you get to Shadowbringers and Endwalker, but that's much better by that. There were different, you know, there's more opportunity for different writing teams to come oh, in yeah. and, and do things with that game. Whereas this one, it's very much one vision, which again, I mean, that's that's sort of the great and the awful thing about 16. It's one vision that's been executed. But unfortunately, if you do not like that vision, this is going to be a swing and a miss for you. Right. And so. then, um, okay, I think maybe we're at the point. Alex, is there anything you really want to talk about? About stuff that you've done recently that uh, you want to call out? No, I think the main thing is uh, I've been playing for Tears of the Kingdom. And that's, that's a big deal. That's such a good game. Um, it's maybe unfair to 16 that I'm playing it at the same time as... I mean, Tears, Tears of, of the, the Kingdom, Kingdom is... Honestly, this year is kind of a wild year for video games. You have Tears yeah. of the Kingdom, you have Final Fantasy 16, you have Fire Emblem Engage yep. as well. You have, I don't know, just lots of stuff. And I have a hot take, time. which, oh my God, we could have had a whole episode just about this hot take, but I'm just going to drop it here at the end because okay. I'm a coward, clearly. I think Tears of the Kingdom is more of a role-playing game than Final Fantasy 16. Um, Yeah. <laughs> does that? I, I will explain that very briefly because I think it deserves some explanation. I think in the way that the game allows you to interact with uh, either equipment or the way it sort of allows you to interact with the world, it allows you to role play your experience more so than 16, whereas 16 just sets you on a path and you button mash your way through it. Does that And leveling is perfunctory. Equipment is largely perfunctory. Does that really matter? It matters whether it matters to you if you enjoy role playing games. I guess the thing is I've seen folks on podcasts just argue forever it, it matters over depending on what you whether game, a game is a role-playing game or not a role-playing game people have spent ages saying is zelda a role-playing game is zelda not a role-playing game and i think you're right i've seen people say i would say earlier zeldas are not i think beginning with breath of the wild there's an argument that can be made and but i have even, reasons for that even i don't i think it's kind of a waste of time to just argue over what's rolling role-playing game um, or not. i think it's more useful to talk about mm. what a game is and kind of take it to pieces and say well what is it doing whether than trying to put it in a box that may fit in or not I, I think that only matters because final the only reason i think this conversation matters and the reason i even bring it up is i think because final fantasy traditionally has been considered to be a role-playing game and 16 is the first one that deviates from that formula so drastically that i don't think it can be considered that anymore now should that detract from your enjoyment of it if you're enjoying it no whatever man have fun but yeah. i mean it's but not a question it of matters it's, it's not ways. really a question of enjoyment or quality it's more just what is it doing i guess it, it matters i think from uh, understanding design and intent in gaming and and how these things are constructed and why they're constructed and also in the ways that it wants you to interact back um, and I don't know that 16 wants you to interact back. I think 16 just wants to tell you a story. Yeah. And I mean, that's what Final Fantasy games have done over the past correct, several correct. years. Yeah. But it's not all that they've done, depending on which point in the history of it you are. So again, take what you will out of that. But again, it was, so. I'm a coward. So I put this hot take at the end so we don't have to talk about it much. Okay. Um, that's not true. Actually, I would, I would like to talk about this more, but we're running out of time. Yeah. So we will chat more about this here's, at a later date. Here's my thing. I finished Lavender Jack recently. Oh, shoot. Wait, is it done? Yeah. So oh, it's three seasons long. So we've talked about Lavender it's Jack we have a in episode. a previous episode, uh, which uh, a work that I think 
is really good in a lot of ways, but as Alex has said, occupies this weird space in both the history of comics and like just cultural history in terms of the sources it's drawing on and whether or not it explores those contradictions sufficiently. I don't know if the third season really completes that circle. I mean, it's an inherent problem with steampunk right. because once That's you go, true. if you go back to what steampunk, what era it's echoing, it is inherently rooted in colonialism yeah. and then all of the problems and racism that comes with but it. But so. it's finished. The third season's over. I feel like they could have even gone on or like ter- they could have made the third season in what, like two or three mm-hmm. seasons just to spread the story out. I think they had enough material to do it. I get the sense that when they were making it, they kind of realized, wait, they're only going to give us one more and try to fit as much as they could. Or maybe in they're it. trying to get out from under a webtoon contract. It's mm. possible. However, I thought it was very entertaining. The characters get a lot to do. I love just a lot of the people in that story, like Madame Therrier or uh, Honor Crab. Like they get a lot of cool stuff to do. There's this cool assassin introduced called the Nightjar that has a whole fun story. You see um, Lavender Jack and his assistant get married and they have this weird kind of because like Mm -hmm. they don't they're not attracted to each other in that way per se but they still care a lot about each other i guess i think intellectually there's so you see them there so that both like operating in society and like learning to lean on each other rather than one like really taking a lot from the other so that's also wow way way to get basically have watson and holmes get married basically and it's kind of how that feels like (laughs) It's a series that I think the third season's all about war and exploitation. And the great danger is not, oh no, will the bad guy win? It's like, will the bad guy create a weapon that will make life extremely hard for a lot of people? And it's about how they try to push back against that and try to um, seize control back for ordinary people, I suppose. Cool. It, so it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. I would say in terms of webtoons, Lavender Jack to me is like a lot more solidly constructed and less amateurish than some of the other work you see there. Although I think that amateurish work or like work where you sort of see the author coming into their skills as they're drawing it is not a bad thing. I think that can be very charming in a way. But I think it's also cool that you have something like Lavender Jack that appears where you see this was made by an experienced cartoonist who knows what they're doing and can like use that format to tell really cool stories and play with visuals. So I think it ends pretty well, although I would have liked to see it go on for longer because I feel like there were stories that were left untold because they just didn't have time. Fair. Yeah. Again, I do, I do wonder if there was maybe some kind of like, okay, we have to be, we're done with Lavender Jack on this platform so we can do stuff elsewhere. Yeah. I'm interested maybe. to see the people working on it have something else coming down the pike. I know I don't doubt like, it. that yeah. artist who works in that series does a lot of funny DC fan art for whatever reason. On oh, Twitter, well, because they're maybe DC fans. Projects, who, who knows? Yeah, uh, or they're trying to get work at DC. That's also legitimate. Um, I do think it's. I'm tickled by the fact that we have canonically completed at least some of the conversation. I mean, I might. I might. Also I mean, that's go why I bring it up. It. There's other things. But, like um, I could talk about, for instance, Avataro Sen, Sen Avataro um, Sentai Don Brothers, which is a completely bonkers and weird Sentai series that I've been watching recently that has like a Power Ranger character. It's just a little Sonic the Hedgehog guy. What? And like another one who's a Pink Ranger and also a wife guy. We could talk about that, but we're not. We talked about Lavender Jack. I mean, we could also talk so about I thought, it, I thought it was Crowds. worth completing. That's a thing. That's I thought it was thing. worth completing that circle. Well, look, because we, we begin this conversation with, I finished Saga Scarlet Grace, and you ended with, I finished Lavender Jack. It's That's true. pretty perfect. That's yep, all Everything's I'm coming together. 
The spider um, differences throughout this episode recording. Oh. At the long last, we're on the same page. Or literally. something. That being the end of the webtoon. <laughs> I'm going to have to clip that because, man, that, that that clap just, oof. I saw oh, the sound no. waves on that. That okay. was rough. That was rough. All right. This is why you edit podcasts. I guess so. So where do you want, where can people find you on the internet, Alex? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Alex the LUP. Um, you can also find me on Twitch, I guess. Maybe I'll stream one day. Who knows? Uh, at Thindalian. Uh, 13 that's t-h-i-n-b-a-l-i-o-n you can also find my comics work at sandcomic.com you have some other some work in the can for that right yes uh there's stuff actually going to be coming out this september uh and more in the works so um i will be or rather my work will be at uh small press expo and mice mice is the massachusetts indie comics expo so uh, both in bethesda maryland and in cambridge uh, massachusetts that's exciting so this this fall so very exciting yeah. um as for me i'm still on twitter at w-e-n-d-e-g-o wendigo until twitter collapses and well i mean it's already a nightmare over there it's a mess why why am i it's because rough. it's a part of you <laughs> uh, i hate it um i tried opening up my tumblr again after oh, ages that's frightening so you can find me there at wendigo if you like I am also on co-host, cohost.org slash pig. And I have a newsletter. You can go to AnnieWire, A-N-I-W-I-R-E dot ghost dot I-O, where I am continuing to finish reviewing mm. uh, Mobile Isle Soup Gundam, The Witch from Mercury. I need to update our uh, podcast description to include that. So oh, that's right. I, I will at you later about yeah, that. That Adam. series is going to finish in another two weeks. So once it's done, I don't know, probably I'll do like a season wrap up and preview and then we'll figure something else out. I, I'm still pitching stuff, so I don't want the newsletter to be a substitute for pitching. However, I do want a way to keep writing stuff. So keep an eye on that. Oh, and um, I've had some stuff coming out on Crunchyroll News recently as well. So I had a piece over there that's um, for folks who are looking for an introduction to anime. I listed some shows that you might find interesting. Like, for instance, uh, A Place Further Than a Universe or Odd Taxi, which I know are both shows Alex has seen and liked. Yes. But big, big also... Recommend. By the time that this episode comes out, uh, the next thing that I wrote should come out, which is what do you watch when you've seen everything? And that has shows you may not have seen, like uh, Noain to Your Other Self, which is this very ahead of its time sci-fi series by Shoji Kawamori, the director of Escaflone. Hmm. You have stuff hmm. like uh, Tetsujin 28 from like 2003, 2004, which is this very serious uh, science fiction drama about people in Japan working through the baggage of World War II and like the horrible war crimes committed therein by Yasuhiro Magawa, the guy who directed Giant Robo. And I even talk a bit about Sengoku Collection, a show based on a phone game about um, political figures from the era of Oda Nobunaga transformed into teenage girls who live in modern Japan, which is a, you know, it's a premise that sounds pretty silly but and it's very uneven but there are a couple episodes that are really great weird standalone bits there's one about a girl who goes to work at a coffee shop and renovates it by speaking haiku there's an episode about a character who falls into this weird surreal rice world that kind of becomes a new episode about halfway through there's an episode that sort of retells um like legend of the galactic heroes is this kind of historical story through the frame of children trying to take over a sandbox so there's lots of like weird little one-offs very cool yeah awesome 
All right. With that, I think we can uh, bring this to a close. So thank you all so much for joining us. 